Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Every dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. I always ask out of all my brain. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999 presents Podcast Like It's 1989. Excellent. Coming at you live from a temple in the middle of a rock quarry. One more time. This is supposed to be Patreon content, Kenny. <laughs> actually, yeah, I wasn't really sure where that was so going. Happy. I was so happy. I know. I want to say the mm-hmm. temple's name, but they never say it in the movie. It's the Temple of the Crescent Moon. The Temple of the Canyon of the Crescent Moon. Ready? All right. Hold on. (laughs) Oh, no. We should keep this. This is great. (laughs) Yeah, this is gold. (laughs) No, this is Patreon, baby. (laughs) This is for all five of you. All right. Let's keep it. We're on. Here we go. It's podcast like it's 1989. The podcast where we talk about the films of 1989 for your $3.99 a month here. Wow. From the Temple of the Canyon of the Crescent Moon. In 2020, I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. And I'm Phyllis Gove. And with us today... That was a great, great intro. That was, that was great. great. I loved today it. Today is I loved the great, it. the great Brian that was, Cogman. That was a, oh, oh, sorry. I just talked over my name. <laughs> yes, great. I am the great Brian Cogman. Yeah. Brian Cogman, you, you yeah. know him from uh, episodes on ER and mm-hmm. uh, what else? And uh, Cradle of Rock. Uh, well, yeah, are we, are we not here to talk more about Cradle of Rock? No. Because I got two hours more of premium... Patreon content about Cradle no, of Rock, my friend. We're going to talk about a movie year that rocks, Brian. Oh, that's 1989. Um, it's, so basically, what we're doing here—it's a smooth transition. Wow, yeah, I know. I've, I've been at this for three years now. 
Uh, basically, what we're doing here is uh, we, Phil and I, have decided that 1999, while it bears so much fruit, is kind of barren right now. We've done so many great movies, and what we've that's not really what we've decided. You we've decided decided. decided to do this when we did the Cradle Rock episode. You were like, it's like Jesus. It's over. I don't we've really I decided. I just want to go on record and say that that yeah. Go ahead, Kenny. What we decided is like 1989 is a great year. We would like to explore another year. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas it feels like, for instance, 2010 was was yesterday, and the movies of 2010 don't feel particularly different from the movies of 2020. 1989 and 1999 are worlds apart for Indeed. so many reasons. But if you look at the movies that were at the top of the box office in 1989, the movies that were nominated for Oscars and the movies that have been played ad nauseum on premium cable, they are generally populist movies made by studios, usually from original screenplays, um, usually movie star driven. And uh, independent film hardly existed. It was just kind of birthed right around now in the modern mm. independent movement uh, with Sex, mm-hmm. Lies, and Videotape and Drugstore Cowboy, movies like that. Right. Um, these movies are extremely white with the you know notable exception of a movie like Do the Right Thing. Um, mm-hmm. But they're also, you know, this is, this is pre-digital, pre-internet. This is monoculture. This is something that we really wanted to like <clears throat> dig into how things change from 89 to 99 to today. Uh, and... Um, to help us, of course, we have Brian Cogman, someone who was alive in 1989. <laughs> I was alive. I was alive and, and can remember it vividly. I, I, was, ten, just... I was 10 years of age. <laughs> 10 years of age. It was a big year. I, I, was, I was nine years of age. But, but okay. I, I also just want to say, seven. <laughs> just, to, just to piggyback <laughs> on, on Kenny's, uh, uh, our thought process on why we wanted to do this Patreon, you know, we, we wanted to do something that was special. We wanted to do something that... You know, we could give our listeners something something new, obviously, in the comparison of 89 to 99. But we also, you know, want to do sort of the top 30-some-odd films rather than doing this deep, deep dive into 99, of which we still have a lot of films and a lot of great films to cover. Yeah. Um, this was sort of an opportunity for us to be able to do that. And, and we'll jump around. We'll do other years along the way as well. But we wanted to sort of start with this one because, first of all, it's it's got a nine in it. But also, it was just an incredible year. It's sort of the... The first, people call it as the first summer blockbuster year, the first sequel year. You know, you mm. had a lot of sequels. You had, a, you had obviously Batman and, and uh, Indiana Jones Last Crusade. You had Ghostbusters 2, Lethal Weapon 2. It was like the summer of sequels um, and the first one of its ilk. And I think that we've seen many, many, many more of them since. And I think this was a real groundbreaking year um, with some absolutely incredible films. And, and uh, we're excited to start this journey with you, Brian. I am I am honored honored to be here for the inaugural uh, Patreon eighty nine extravaganza. This you are is, the, the very exciting the bottle of champagne on the nose of this cruise ship. Fabulous, yeah, fabulous. No, this is a very exciting. I mean, eighty nine, and you're absolutely right. When you first uh, mentioned this to me, um, I re- I think I remember that as a real milestone year in my. Uh, I don't know, development as a, as a film lover and a movie goer. It was the first Oscars yeah. I stayed up to watch. So I'm oh, wow. watching the Oscars that year, the year Jessica Tandy won best actress. And that was a, a big deal to my parents. They're like, Oh, Jessica Tandy, she's been around forever and she's winning best actress, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I, so I guess I, in a weird way, I, I thought I was, I was sort of starting my classic film education around that time as well. My mom was renting me Hitchcock films to watch 
you know, her, her rule was when you went to the video store, you can pick whatever you want. You can pick Police Academy 4, but you also have to watch something of my choosing. Really? And it was, and yeah, which is the best thing Come she ever did. And she, she chose, yeah. the first one was Strangers <laughs> on a Train. Uh, oh, wow. And, and within weeks, I was uh, letting go of the Police Academy movies and just renting Hitchcock and shit. So that was that same year. And then, as you say, uh, cultural behemoth blockbusters certainly and you say this is a video this is, this is on video for the patrons it is it is they, they yes. can see the, the the batman tim burton poster behind me I, I and you know we're not here to talk about batman specifically so i'll, I'll say i won't say much but i i cannot i cannot <laughs> stress enough how pervasive that in that symbol and the yeah. batman thing was that summer i've never seen anything like it since I mean, no. even when even when the Star Wars prequels and stuff came out, because as you say, this summer ushered in the blockbuster. So in any other given year, you might have two or three seminal. Blo- this was the year of Batman. It was it was insane. And for a 10 year old and also it was the, the year that introduced Batman, that darker version of Batman to a kind of larger mass audience who were used to Adam West. So anyway, again, not here to talk about Batman, but um, but 89 was was a big movie year. Well, big movie. We year. will, we, we will you, talk about Batman oh, probably in every single podcast for that reason. Yeah, yeah. It, it does kind of loom large over the whole summer. And mm-hmm. if you look at, for instance, the movie we're doing today, Indiana Jones mm-hmm. and the Last Crusade, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I think that there, there's there's a certain '80s aesthetic that uh, I'd say, with no derision, is like a you know kind of middle brow, right? It's okay. kind of this, sure. this fl- flat lighting, on the nose dialogue, um, movie stars, and there's some hamminess to it, and uh, and, and and very little subtext. And a lot, uh, and 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 uh, you know, a lot of strong plot, strong story, strong characters. Uh, I think we'll see that over and over and over again. Batman is not that. Batman, Batman no. did something very, very different with yeah. a major property produced by a major studio, uh, and it hit it, it hit it out of the park, and it changed movies about as much as any movie has ever. I mean, you know, ninety nine, we have the Matrix. And we have mm. uh, Blair Witch, which I think are two like massive sea changes in the way movies are made, movies mm-hmm. are consumed. But before then, I think you don't have anything that big until Batman. I mean, I think no, I think Batman you're right. I, and it was so subversive. I mean, for a for a popular entertainment that ten year olds like me were going to. Um, I, sure. I also think that you know I'm I'm looking at the poster behind you, and and I I remember as a kid, and I still to this day think that that teaser poster. Which is basically the poster behind you, except it's just the Batman just the symbol. Insignia, yeah, it didn't have just the just June nineteenth. Yeah, and I was nine or ten, mm-hmm. and I'm like, well, Batman's coming out on June nineteenth. It it it, oh, it yeah. is it it just it the confidence of that marketing campaign, the confidence of knowing what they had in this thing, yeah. um, is 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 pretty unparalleled. I mean, to Kenny's yeah. point, you know, we've seen people do that since. I mean, hell, other Batman movies have played on that symbol, um, but it's just, it's it's shockingly effective. I mean, I remember yeah. the teaser poster for the movie we're talking about today with Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which is Indy, and he's looking over his shoulder and says, I think it's something along the lines of, uh, he's going on an adventure, but this time he's bringing his dad. Right, right, and right. And you're just like, yeah, I'm there. Like, I mean, yeah. how could you? It's just, it's, it's, 
it's so clean and it's just, it's great stuff. And, and yeah. I think to, to Kenny's earlier point, and Kenny and I have talked about obviously 89 and we've sort of called this, this list of movies, but it's just, you, you, you really have like 30, maybe even 40 bangers, like just yeah. fucking great movies that are untouchably great. Um, it's, 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 yeah. it's really something special. Um, and, and as so, said, yeah, go ahead. so Brian, and just so, so you know, we did drop uh, Christmas Vacation on the main feed as a teaser for this. So this is our second 89 movie. We've discussed 89 a little bit, but 89, oh, okay. was, 89 was the first movie, first year I saw movies in the theater. And I saw every movie in the theater. I saw Batman in the theater and I saw yeah. this in the theater. I saw Ghostbusters 2 in the theater. I saw. Yeah. Um, it's probably every, the same for me too now that I think about it. Or certainly there's one something of them, yeah. about it that just, it's, yeah. it, it seemed like there are a lot of movies that felt just about okay for younger children that came mm-hmm. out this year. So, uh, 89, very informative year for me. I watched all these movies ad nauseum on, um, HBO and Showtime. I can, uh, I, I cannot really speak about these objectively. Most of these objectively, the way I can speak about ninety-nine movies or seventy-nine movies. No, you're absolutely right. Are yeah, so ingrained in my childhood. Like just watching Last Crusade today, and yeah. and we'll get yeah. more into this in our own personal um, personal histories with this particular movie. But I know every line of that movie. Oh this yeah, movie no. is, this movie, this movie is 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 no. This this movie is like a family member. It's going to be very hard. <laughs> <laughs> it truly is. It's like my 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 brother. Yeah, yeah. you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah I, but a lot I, of the, I, I agree with you. A lot of those movies in '89 uh, fall into that. We, you know, those are the ones that we got on video cassette. You know, yeah. the next Christmas that, that 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 next Christmas we got the Batman video cassette that we you know just watched so much that we destroyed it. Had that funny little trailer with uh, I don't know if you remember with uh, Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny about getting the Warner Brothers catalog so you can get Warner Brothers merch that ran before. <laughs> I, could, I could recite that to you right now. Um, you know, I got this... Well, we can... Wait, never mind. We can, we can wait until we get to Last Crusade. But, I, I do yeah. think that there might be I, I also just want to say that... Year, it, well, I just think there might be something about this year that lent itself. I don't know what it is, and this is what I want to explore. Lent itself to VHS mm-hmm. rewatchability. There's something sure. that these movies that were made in 89 didn't feel like they were made a hundred years ago. Like trading places looks like it was made a thousand years ago. And it looked it, by like <laughs> 93, it looked like you were watching a movie from the stone ages, but every movie from 89 still feels fresh, yeah. as fresh as a lot of movies that we've done in 99. Yeah. So yeah, it inaugurated a modern era. I think. Yeah. I, I also think just right. think yeah. about that, that, you know, that video cassette, I can still see it like in my mind's eye because of the amount of times I put it into a fucking sure. VCR. It's just like this movie, Batman, yeah. for sure. Uh, when Harry met Sally, for sure. But I remember, and I don't know if this guy's, if you guys had this, cause obviously my video cassette was Canadian, but, mm-hmm. um, it had a commercial for, I think it was Coca Cola where the night at the end, it's a, like a taste test. Do you remember this at all? There was yes, like between, it was Diet Coke. It was Diet, Diet Coke. That's what it was. And and it was like picking the grail and picking the right one. And it was the you've they, chosen they poorly. Used, oh, yes, 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 of course. What's crazy is, I don't know how Diet Coke pulled this off because they also had a Batman ad. And these are different <laughs> studios. Yeah. Because there was a Batman Diet Coke ad where Alfred is calling the Gotham Corner store. Michael Go, I remember that. Go yeah. as Alfred calling the corner store. And and shots of the Batmobile are going, and he's like, "Oh, just look for a black car." He, he, we've ordered him. <laughs> we've ordered him a Diet Coke. 
uh, you know. um, and then and then there was another one uh, and this is the year before this uh, is 88 but there's one with fucking bob hoskins and roger rabbit doing yeah. so diet coke they managed to do yeah. deals with D- yeah. disney paramount and uh, Warner and Brothers. Brothers. It's going to be incredible. Di- and Diet I Coke mean, was for the children back then. That's the shit. other thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's, uh, yeah, yeah. let's, let's start let's with do yeah, the thing because yeah. like we did at the beginning of the 1999 podcast, um, <clears throat> because we're only doing 30 or so films this year, we're not going to give you a top 10. Um, yep. And I assume, Phil, all of your movies are movies that we're planning to cover. Yep. And if not, we should cover them. Uh, all the minor movies we're planning to cover, and it'll be interesting to see if Brian's movies mm-hmm. are movies that uh, that fall in the top. I'm sure they that are. we've kind of. Um, so, are we doing a top five or a top? What is this? Five. We're doing a top five. Oh, top five. Oh, top okay. five and eighty nine. My top ten. Okay, great. Um, well, then we'll do top. And five. Uh, <laughs> and and let's see because as I, I said to Phil, I think I think we'll have one overlap. Um, and there's. A, I have you know, a feeling two of my top five you were not planning to cover. Interesting. Well, then we're going to. Well, let's see. I'll we'll come back, back for one of them if you want. Yeah, you'll All definitely right. come back. I, you know, you know. Let's uh, let's do Brian last for the. That was okay. a great teaser. Okay. Um, yeah. Phil, would you like to go first? Sure. Um, am I just? I'm starting from the bottom, going yeah, give, up. Give us the okay. top five. Um, I had a really hard time with number five. I was torn between two movies. I'm still a little torn, but I'm going to stick with what I've got. Number five, I have Dead Poets Society. Um, it means a lot to you. It 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 does. I mean, listen. It's it's not a it's. It's not a perfect movie, but uh, there's something about it that I just, I don't know. It's just, I, I, I think that I wanted to have that teacher. I wanted to have that experience. There's a, there's a camaraderie and intellectualism and emotion and coming of age and all of it. I think it's great. Um, at number four, I have Do the Right Thing, mm-hmm. which is obviously a phenomenal film. I went to see it. It actually played at the Arclight, I want to say, about a year and a half ago or something like that. So I saw it on the big screen, which I had never seen before. It's just a gorgeous film, um, an incredibly important film. Um, and then, you know, my, my top three are kind of unimpeachable, and, and they the order of them could shift from day to day. So I'm just going to say this is the order that today I put them in. I got Batman at three. I got Last Crusade at two, and I got One Harry Met Sally at one. Mm-hmm. Um. So that, those, those, those are five great. No, films. no, no slouches. Any of those movies? So as I, as I predicted, we only, we only matched on one. Interesting. I okay. Certainly, I was certain which one it would be. Okay. You only um, matched on one, really? My well, wow. look. So, like you said, Brian, about <laughs> Last Crusade, these films are family members. Yeah. And I and 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 I am I am the 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 the, the five I chose. I am unable to be objective about. And I'm also unable to be, uh, I'm also unable to be objective about movies. I didn't pick like, like last crusade, for instance, or Batman or when Harry met Sally or, um, even movies like true Beverly Hills or Heather's. There's so many movies this year Mm -hmm. that I, so Batman, Batman, when Harry met Sally and last crusade, none of those major top. None of those are on my list. Um, none That's of those are crazy. on my list. And, and <laughs> Christmas Vacation is not on my list. A movie that I That's on my top ten for sure. When I thought we were doing ten, that was my number ten. <laughs> Wonder all wonderful movies. Um, but this is my list, and I'm gonna give you my list. Number five. <laughs> all right, all of these, all of these are ninety-eight ninety-nines for me. Right. Um, as high as it gets. Um number five, The Little Mermaid. Hmm. I've seen The Little Mermaid. Yes. Uh, now, at least 100 times, <laughs> I have broken it down to 
the line of dialogue and I think it is fucking flawless. I understand it's problematic, but as a film, as a structure, it is spectacular. I love yeah. every moment of it. It, it. it it couldn't move fast for me. I get it. It's like 85-minute movie, but it couldn't move fast for me. So many highs. Crazy about that movie. Uh, number four, another movie that I thought you might have had, Phil. But again, this is such a year full of bangers. Like I understand why you didn't uh, say anything. Um mm. It came close. My, it came very one close. Of my favorite, it was in my top 10. One of my favorite romantic comedies, one of my favorite romantic movies, romantic moments. Again, there are some problematic aspects to it. We're going to see that over and over again, but I don't care. Like, I just, this is, you know, the, this is a movie that's just incredibly important to me. Um, number three, again, cannot talk about this movie objectively. Never will be able to in my entire life. I've seen it more than any other movie in my life. Major League. Uh, Major League, uh, a movie, a movie that was made for me. Was Major League 89? Oh, my God. Wow. It is. Major yeah. League was 89. And, you know, where um, wow. where so many other kids went to sleepovers and watched Back to the Future or Star Wars, my friends watched Major League. Uh, and I managed to find friends at camp and college in L.A. where that was just a thing that we know inside and out. Major League is a 99 for me. And we're going to do it soon. Um, we are. Number awesome. two is to meet obviously the best film of this year so clearly the best movie of this year number two is um, the best movie of the year yeah from, that's, from, that's a, pretty, yeah. from a uh from oh, a, i see from a should have won the oscar i understand yes okay uh let's do the right thing so clearly sure. the best film of this year so clearly the most important so clearly the most resonant so clearly the most prescient um and also a hell of a fun movie to watch too like there is just so much going on in that movie about 1989 in Brooklyn, like uh, that just gets you excited. And, you know, that hot day in Brooklyn, that 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 that, that cauldron thing, that bubbling cauldron, that that powder keg. I love every second of that movie, too. And number mm-hmm. one um, with a bullet is Field of Dreams. It's Field oh, of Dreams. Wow. Um, again, Field of Dreams is like Major League for me. Uh, in that I will never be able to talk about it objectively. It is, it is the movie. And you're a baseball guy, as I recall. I'm a baseball guy. I'm a sports, yeah. I'm a sports guy. This but is, I'm, you we're know, seeing I'm, how much Kenny loves sports. I'm also, <laughs> that's not a like, knock. This, I just, I just is, remember. Yeah, I remember. Knock this either. is yeah. also why Last Crusade is my favorite indie movie by a million times. It's all. I'm also a daddy's boy, right? Sure, sure. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm also a. I'm also the, <laughs> someone who is like who is like constantly trying to connect and you know, hang out with my dad. I'm currently living at his house as I switch houses and it's wonderful. So movies about fathers and sons uh, will always do it for me. And this one in particular, um, Field of Dreams, uh, cuts to the heart of it. People who know, know. I think um, some people love it and some people don't, but those who love it really kind of. Well, I think that Brian, you might've saw that. I I watched Fields of Dreams for the first time, probably, I don't know, maybe two months ago, something like that. I had never seen it. I had never seen it before. Okay. and I'm excited to talk about it on on the on the pod when we when we do get to it. Yeah. But um, I, Kenny and I were sort of texting as I was watching it, and you know there's some real kind of goosebump moments throughout it. But I was pretty much in my head like, I mean, this isn't going to make me cry. And then when he <laughs> says, "Do you want to fucking play catch?" Oh I'm yeah, oh, yeah, fuck yeah. Like, yeah. Are you made of movie? stone? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. like I, yeah. I, but I no. just I'm I'm speaking more to the fact that I had. I basically said, well, this isn't going to happen. Like, <laughs> this movie doesn't have it in it. And when it catches in his throat, you're just like, that's it. Now, when, when Kevin Costner gets in the right mode in a, in a role, he's as good as any film actor 
that ever lived. I really speaking of a that. member of my family, right? Yeah, the, I mean, I, I think he's he's actually a very underrated actor. <laughs> now he needs to be in the right zone, but I, when he is, you know, um, I think he is on his current TV series too. I think I, he's. I think Kevin Costner was yeah. the biggest and best movie stars at at a time when being the biggest and best movie star was the yep. most important thing about oh, yes, indeed. a movie. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. So I think that for that's sure. kind of his lane uh, to some extent. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that he has, like, uh, somewhat thriving. But yeah, that was right. Pete Costner, for sure, yep. Field of Dreams. Right. I, I also got? just want to – Oh, sorry. I want, hold on, just one quick second, Brian, before you jump in. I just want to yes. I want to piggyback very quickly on what Kenny was saying um, and just one of the seismic differences that 10 years makes in this industry – we're talking about movie stars here, like bona fide movie stars that get people in seats and pay to go see their movies. And it, within the span of 10 years, you see that slipping away inch by inch by inch. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really kind of, it's watching these movies again. And I'm thrilled that we're doing this, this podcast for, this is one of the many reasons I'm excited about it is I miss fucking movie stars. Like I miss mm. how comforting it felt like to see a person step up to the plate, forgive the, it the is. nice, but like, it really is amazing to see. And we just, we just don't do it anymore. But anyway, I this is a whole other discussion, but, but if it, it and maybe this is a, this is a whole other discussion, but I'm curious and maybe you'll, it'll come up in other uh, episodes. If, if you can attribute a certain uh, era or film to the death of that, uh, thing or if, or or is it or was it a was it a gradual many many factors thing? I don't know the answer. I'm just I, I, I'm going to just posit a theory, and this is just me literally talking off the top of my head. Right. Because in the research I was doing for Last Crusade, I stumbled upon the fact that apparently Spielberg approached Harrison Ford and Sean Connery for Jurassic Park, and they both turned it down. Mm. Sean Connery to play Hammond and and Sam Neill's role was going to be Harrison Ford. Wow. So both those guys pass on it. And I, I, I don't want to suggest that that's the turning of the tie, but the reason I wanted to hone in on that film no, is because of how production became so expensive, special effects became so expensive mm-hmm. that you start to see them being like, well, we'd rather spend the money on the special effects than on the movie stars. Yeah. And, and, and I think... I, I think that's why the wave. I think that that's as good. Right. That's as good a theory as I've heard because you're absolutely right. I remember when Jurassic Park right, came out, though. and it was the biggest hyped movie of the year, and it starred Sam Neill and Laura Dern, and you were yeah. at first like, "Huh, it does." And it, then you saw you know, it, and I, you were fine. <laughs> I, I completely agree with you, Phil. I think you're totally yeah. right. And then you can you can follow that thread through the biggest movies of the decade, and they're all special effects extravaganza starring people like Bill Paxton or Bill Pullman or, mm. uh, you know, a young Leonardo DiCaprio or Kate Winslet or, you know. Um, right. The special effects became the star. Yep. And yeah. the movie star went away. Um, and occasionally you would have people like a Will Smith who would, you know, stick his head above above water or Hanks or Cruz who sure. hit their, you know, hit their, their pay dirt around this time. But for the most part, the biggest movies every summer were the ones where shit got blown up. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, even, and even with Cruz, you know, now it's Cruz if he's playing Ethan Hunt. Mm-hmm. Oh, now, you know, yeah. There was the era where, because with, when, when you're talking about someone like Kevin Costner, it's Kevin Costner doing a spy thriller like No Way Out or a baseball dad movie like Field of Dreams or whatever, you know, like he could play in whatever genre he was mm-hmm. wanting to play in and movie star put guys and girls in seats. Um, yeah. Wow. Fascinating. Yeah. No, I was anyway. saying cruise in the 90s. I, I agree. I think right yeah, now. Yeah. Cruise in the 90s. I can't, too, e- sure. I can't even think of 
a quote unquote bankable movie star right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Cruz's run in the nineties is, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, it's somewhere between eight or nine movies in a row that all broke a hundred million dollars at the box office. Mm -hmm. Um, Hanks must have had a similar thing too. For sure. Like these yeah, guys cool. basically were just untouchable. But. Yeah. So Brian, you're, uh, you're top mm. five. Let's hear yes, it. Yes. Re- briefly. So, so <laughs> my number, so the way I decided this, because I, I looked at the list of movies released in 89 and was like, Oh my God, these are, there's you know, yeah. two dozen unassailable <laughs> classics. Yeah. Um, I just decided to go with which ones have I watched the most since 1989. So. <laughs> Um, that might not be the most scientific thing. So, mm-hmm. so, um, number five, and here's, here's one that I don't think you'd plan to do, and maybe you still won't, but it's Woody Allen's Crimes and Misdemeanors, um, is one of my <laughs> favorite movies. Um, it's, it's an incredible movie, uh, with an amazing performance by Martin Landau and Angelica Houston should have won the Oscar. A very upsetting and dark and, uh, uh, haunting uh, film um, number four when Harry met Sally which you know nothing to say about that it's it's perfect <laughs> uh, three Batman uh, we've talked about Batman my number two and I, I doubt you will have planned to do this one either is Kenneth Branagh's Henry V which is uh, an absolute masterpiece uh, and it, can't it wait start- to have you on for it well, there we go. That's but I'd lo- I would love to, and and I've been doing on the Screen Drafts podcast. I've been doing the Shakespeare yeah. miniseries, mm-hmm. and we already did our first episode. And the demarcation was the release of Branagh's Henry V in '89 because oh. it unleashed the Shakespeare movie. Sure. Talking about '89 being a trendsetter, it it unleashed the Shakespeare movie renaissance that took us all through the '90s, where there was a you know two or three Shakespeare movies a year, um, yeah. uh, and. Before that, the Shakespeare movie had been dead for 10 full years. There hadn't been a major motion picture based on a Shakespeare play in 10 years. So, um, and it's a great film. Uh, and, and I'll, I'll talk all about that maybe when I come back. Um, yeah. and then of course, number one is, is, is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. <laughs> <laughs> is that usually number one? Hell yeah, it's number one. Oh. Oh, shit. I thought Batman was, you know, I thought that was, that no, was, no. I mean, I've got the poster, but that if, was a if, if, if someone gives me an autographed, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade poster. Yeah. Up it goes. It's coming down. All right. so I'm so <laughs> coming happy. down. Or, or maybe I'll Indiana get rid of Orson Welles over there and move Batman over. Indiana and then... Jones and, and the Last Crusade is your number one. Number um, one without I question. I assume it's your favorite Indiana Jones movie because of that. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. And you By still? Large mile. It is. Yeah. By a, wow. By a large mile. Oh, it's, mm-hmm. to me, it's to me. A large mile is not an expression. A large margin or a or a country mile. I well, was mixing. This is this is something that Not mine that, as well, um, Ryan. Yeah. I mean, I love two of the other ones too, but yeah, I, I, I so, like one of the other ones. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. Okay. So this feels like the 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 best place to start with Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade is to have yes. this discussion about where it fits individually for us in this series. Um, I watched this movie again today. I watched this innumerable times. I love, love, love this movie. By a hair, it's my number two in the Indiana Jones series. I don't Um, believe you. Okay. I mean, I I believe you're telling me the truth. I just, I can't believe you. Let me just say this, and, and this is not a knock on this film. Um, I, I would say that I – and, and what, I want to sort of ask this question to you guys at, at 30,000 feet because I think it, it kind of will help me a little bit, which is 
this film can't exist without the previous two films, right? So this film gets to benefit sure. from our knowledge of this character. Um, and, and, and again, this is not a knock. I'm just, and, and I'm just all the stating mistakes facts here. they made with Temple of Doom. That's the yes. only reason yes. that, that, that that's, that's yes. true. But yes. Correct. Okay. Um, it's hard for me when I think about the first time I saw Indiana Jones on the screen, when he whips that, when he whips the gun out of the guy, comes out of the shadows, and you see him for the first time, it, it, it is one of the greatest movie entrances ever. This, it, it, is, it is the birth of an icon. Um, and that movie just lives and breathes in its own, like it, it stands on its own. If there are sure. no other Indiana Jones films, this movie exists. And, and I just, I really do think that it's a perfect movie. I love this movie, but I would say this movie is, and I want to talk about this later in the podcast as well, in terms of where this fits in Spielberg's filmography, where he is at this time in his career, why he makes this film this way. Um, I love the father-son stuff in this movie. I am a sucker for it. I cry at the end when he calls him Indiana for the first time, even though mm. it's, it shouldn't work. It does. I love it. Um, but it's it's softer. It's gentler. It's lighter. Um, yeah. And all of those things are wonderful, but it makes it just slightly lesser than the first time you see this character. And that's the, that's where I come out on it. Well, I guess we're done. Um, well, <laughs> fuck you. No, no. Uh, um, no, I, I get it. I mean, that's 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 the more generous criticism of it. I mean, look for 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 many years, I've endured uh, idiotic takes that this is the worst of the. Some even say it's the worst of the four, which is <laughs> madness. But there, but before the fourth one even existed, it's this insane. was the worst of the three. It's just a lame remake of the first one. It softened him up too much. It's too goofy, um, you know. Uh, all of which is 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 hogwash. So I, I I think your your assessment as to why Raiders is better is more persuasive to me. I mean, certainly, you know, Raiders was the first and. Um, and and it's certain and and this and this if there's any criticism that I can level at this and again it's very hard for me to talk objectively even even in this last rewatch so I showed it to my kids and this was this was kind of interesting so I, they haven't seen any 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 Indiana Jones oh wow films. so I showed them this one first because this was actually the first one I think I ever saw all the way through me, I me think too, I'd seen Same. bits of yeah I think I'd seen bits of Raiders on television maybe so I was familiar with Indiana Jones and who he was when we went to see it. And of course I'd seen star Wars a lot. So Harrison Ford as a screen persona, I was very familiar with, but um, this is in my mind, the first full Indiana Jones experience. And then I probably saw this in the theater five times. So um, I knew I could show this to my kids as the introduction to the character and it would work as an introduction. It actually does, especially since it starts in his childhood. Yep. So it, it, it almost does almost feel like a first chapter totally. kind of thing. And of course, you know, needless to say, they loved it, and they're and and it's the perfect one to show kids because it is a little funnier, and it's got you know, um, uh, kind of a more emotional family storyline. Yeah. Uh, I it's forget where better. I was going with this. Oh yeah, more. so um, <laughs> the, the criticism I was I, I, as I was attempting to sort of step outside and go, okay, what is it that pissed so many people off? Yeah, I get it. Like I get that from a thousand feet the rough structure of it is a sort of quasi remake of Raiders um, to a degree. I would argue 
and again, I'll get lambasted on the internets for this. I would argue it executes some of those remake scenes better. I actually think that. I agree with that. Um, I prefer the belly of the still beast chase to the similar desert chase in Raiders. I know. Everyone's going to yell at me because, you know, well, because Spielberg in the uh, ultimately Spielberg, it was eight years later and he was a more accomplished filmmaker. Now there are many who would say what's fun about Raiders is he made it under the gun. Raiders was made fast uh, relatively dirty, cheap, yeah. yep. dirty. Yep. He was mm-hmm. uh, getting a reputation for being a guy that goes over time, spends too much money, money, and and yeah. even though he'd made Jaws, Close Encounters, while a big hit, was a was went way over. Nineteen forty one, big flop. So he was getting this reputation, and he had to make it quick and dirty and cheap, and he did. And that's what's mm-hmm. fun about it. But there's also a little less polish to it that I guess it sort of depends on your personal aesthetic. Um, Anyway, I'm sort of rambling. It's hard to talk about this movie, so um, <laughs> uh, I'll say I'll say that criticism stands, and and I actually do. Uh, if there's one characterization uh, thing I have, I do have an issue with Sala. This is going a little deep, oh. but I do have an issue with John Rhys Davies is playing an entirely different character than Sala of the style of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Uh, he's he's a goofy, bumbling, funny sidekick that Indiana yells at in last crusade and he's a wise sage the guy that can get everything done uh almost falstaffian character in raiders um now he's very amusing and lovely in last crusade and all this stuff is funny and Mm -hmm. that line where he's like that car belonged to my brother-in-law like it's so dumb but i Mm -hmm. laugh every time um so it's (laughs) it's fine but i can see if you were watching raiders and growing up and this is also an age difference thing it's all the people that hated the ewoks if you were a couple years older watching Return of the Jedi. If you were a teenager that had watched Star Wars and Empire and then you went and saw Jedi and you saw the fucking Ewoks, you hated it. If you were yep. five years old like me and watched it, this is awesome. Yep. Bunch of fucking teddy bears, but be, you know, beating up the stormtroopers. So I think there's a similar thing here. The 10-year-old goes and sees Last Crusade and the kind of goofier, lighter tone is perfect. But if you're about five years older, if you're 15 years old and you think of Indiana Jones as sort of a rough, sexy James Bond type, you might not like this movie, and I get that they're wrong, but I I get it. That's how I. Kenny, where do you wh- wh- where do you where do you land on this, Kenny? Well, the thing is, I mean, I feel like my experience and Brian's are, are very similar in that first movie I saw, Last Crusade, um, saw it in or around eighty nine, saw it on TV a hundred times, watched it with my family a hundred times, never yeah. watched Raiders with my family, never watched Temple of Doom with my family, um, mm. didn't watch Raiders until I was a grown up. Right until I was around twenty, did I pop in Raiders? I watched Temple of Doom at some point, mm-hmm. um, but uh, so when I I watched after I moved into moved to LA and was already in this business, I pop in Raiders and felt like I watched with a critical eye. And here's the thing: like without having the nostalgia of youth um, and all the things that are wrapped up, Raiders is kind of slow and boring. Um, <laughs> Last Crusade is a freight train that doesn't stop. But Raiders has a lot of downtime in between the chases, in between the scenes um, <coughs> where he's actually like uh, excavating the Ark, where he's at, where, 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 you know, things are kind of happening. But there's a lot of plotting in that movie um, that, for, that, so I've, I've seen Raiders all the way through only twice. Once oh, around wow. 21 or 22, wow. and once with my son when I, when I ran the series with him like a year and a half ago. And running the series with him, and and I think there's a lot of great stuff in Raiders. I think Raiders is a very good movie. 
Um, and particularly the Karen Allen stuff is awesome. Like that relationship is like awesome and her character is awesome. But the the first two movies felt like one, I could feel like I felt like I was losing him. Two, I felt like I was scaring him. And three, I knew that I like got him. And so maybe from a lot of it comes from a, a parental point of view, but like three is the one where he's like, this is what I love. Mm. Um, now he says he loves them all because he's, you know, he, he thinks he's 30 and rated our movies are his favorite thing. But uh, it's clear <laughs> that that this is a movie that 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 works multi generational, and I I'm with Brian. I think the I think the action sequences are better. I think like much better. I think there's a Hitchcockian vibe to the stuff in Venice. I think there is. Yeah. Uh, you have the B movie stuff that like is all you know all what the first one is is kind of riffing on. It doesn't feel like the first one to me at all. First one feels like one thing, like a like a like a B movie thing. This one is. A lot of different things brought together in a really cool way. Like you would mm-hmm. never have anything like the boat chase in the first one. They wouldn't mm-hmm. even think of that. Mm-hmm. You know that well, that's it. That wasn't a thing. That wasn't what that movie was. You wouldn't have anything. You wouldn't. You wouldn't have them. You wouldn't have them in Venice. You wouldn't have them in Scotland. These were just. It's just. It's just a different, more fun, more exciting movie. So that's me. I mean, I I I hear that. I really do. And 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 by the way, like as I've said before, and I'll say it again as we keep going through this, like I fucking love this movie. No, it's clear. Oh, yeah. I, I'm really not. I'm and really I not. Say, I, I love Raiders. I, I have a much higher opinion of Raiders. Than right. <laughs> I just I think that I I think that this this movie um th- this movie is 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 to your point, Kenny. This movie wants to entertain the fuck out of you. This movie wants to be the popcorn movie that you've always wanted from Indiana Jones. He's there with his dad. It's a family story. This this is, is a this is it is. And and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Raiders is made by a different guy. And by that yeah. I mean he's not doesn't have guy. a family when he makes Raiders. He does like it's just it's just different, right? So he's trying to make yeah. a cooler guy. He's trying he's, to make this, you know. This is what I wonder about Raiders. Again, as, as someone who came to it later, mm-hmm. is Raiders amazing or is Raiders important? And my sense is that Raiders is more important than amazing. Um, just like I think Close Encounters is more important than amazing. Um, I just think hmm. that some of these movies at the time were so spellbinding compared to what came before it and, and, and influenced so many interesting things that came after it. Over the course of 100 years of cinema, 120 years of cinema, they don't stand out to me anymore the way a Star Wars does or a Jaws does or um, – I mean not really Last Crusade. On, it's not really the same kind of thing. But some of the mm. other like big uh, tentpole movies throughout our lives. So I don't know. I, I, think, there's some, I think there's absolutely something to that. I mean I, I know that – Similar to, to, it seems like all of us, Last Crusade was, or maybe you saw Raiders first, or you, had you seen Raiders before Last Crusade, Brian, or no? I, I, I feel like I'd seen some of it on television, but not I had like, no idea. I didn't know Indiana Jones from Adam. Yeah, we didn't, I, we didn't own the videotapes until we went to, to um, like Costco, uh, or Price Club, it was called then, and sure. got the little VHS trilogy. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I think I'd seen Raiders bits of Raiders on TV. So I was certainly aware of Indiana Jones, but no, I, I mean, I, I was no. aware of Indiana Jones, yeah. but I don't think I'd seen any of the films until I saw last crusade. I, I, I really, I guess I, 
I kind of feel like the two films can really be sort of summarized as do you are you more invested in, in Indiana Jones and Marion Ravenwood or are you more interested in Indiana Jones and Henry Jones? And yes. it's not a knock either way. No, I think, like, I think that both those relationships are fantastic, question. but I think they're just very different. Yeah. Um, but all that being said, let me give a very brief synopsis. If anyone is listening to this and has yeah, I wondered if you were going to do your usual. Uh, what are you, yeah. What are you doing right now listening to this if you haven't seen Last Crusade? But that's neither here nor there. Uh, the synopsis is the intrepid explorer Indiana Jones sets out to rescue his father, a medievalist who has vanished while searching for the Holy Grail. Following clues in the old man's notebook, Indy arrives in Venice where he enlists the help of a beautiful academic, but they're only, they are not the only ones who are on the trail and some sinister old enemies soon come out of the woodwork. Indiana Jones and Last Crusade opened on May 20th. 24th, 1989, in first place with $46.9 million, which is a fuck lot of money in 89. That was a beat, um, beat Batman to the, to the theaters then by, by about a month. By like smart. By about a month. Yeah. Uh, it was first place up against Hear No Evil, See No Evil, the Richard Pryor, uh, Gene Wilder movie. Holy shit. And Field of Dreams in third place. It would you go on evil, to make. See No Evil would be a good one to do, Phil. I'm game. Uh, it would go on to make 400 and. <laughs> it would go on to make $474 million worldwide on a $48 million budget, which in 1989 dollars is a lot That's of money. It's crazy. Uh, Indiana Jones Last Crusade has 88% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and 94% from audiences. Mm, Roger mm-hmm. Ebert gave it three and a half out of four stars and said, as I watched it, I felt a real delight because recent Hollywood escapist movies have become too jaded and cynical and have lost the feeling that you can stumble over astounding adventures just by going on a hike with your scout troop. Which is huh. hilarious to think of where we are today. Well, and where we'd be in a month. Because he didn't care for Batman. <laughs> he did not care <laughs> for Batman. <laughs> uh, when Raiders of the Lost Ark appeared, it defined a new energy level for adventure movies. It was a delirious breakthrough, but there was no way for Spielberg to top himself. And perhaps it was just as well that Last Crusade will indeed be Indy's last film. But it won't. <laughs> uh, it, would, it would be too or, sad to see the it will. <laughs> it would be too sad to see the series grow old and thin like the James Bond movies. Hilarious. If there is just a shade of disappointment after seeing this movie, it has to be because we will never again have the shock of this material seeming new. Raiders of the Lost right. Ark, now more than ever, seems like a turning point in the cinema of escapist entertainment. And there really was no way Spielberg could make it new all over again. What he has done is to take many of the same elements and apply them to the, uh, and apply all of his craft and sense of fun to make them work again, once again. And yes, they do. So can yeah. I just take a quick, a quick second here just to say like where we are in Spielberg's filmography? Cause I think it's really interesting. 84, he does Temple of Doom. 85, he does The Color of Purple. He gets 13 Academy Award Color nominations. Purple. Color Purple, my apologies. Um, Color Purple in 85, he gets 13 Academy Award nominations and leaves with none. Mm-hmm. He does Empire of the Sun in 87, which is a very good movie, but a strange movie for him. Yes. Mm-hmm. Then he does Last Crusade. And not successful and- at the time. And not successful. Yeah. He does Last Crusade and Always in the same year in 89. Always comes out in December as like an Oscar play of which there Uh, is It doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh, And then 91, he does Hook. And then obviously Mm. 93, he's got Jurassic Park and Schindler's List. And And that's the big, that's the big game changes come back here. Right. So this film comes out right in this sort of transition period for him where Mm. he needs a hit. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't mean to sound to sound jaded about this, I'm just trying oh, it's bread and butter. to lay it out. Bread and butter. He needs a hit, yeah. and and it's the first time, and he does this many times afterwards, where he releases two films in one year. 
Mm-hmm. So he's doing like, I want the popcorn movie in the summer mm-hmm. and I want always is my Oscar play in 89. Yep. And they both come out, obviously, you know, the same year. Last Crusade is a gargantuan success. Always is not. Hook is a, a weird thing that I still love and also don't really understand why it exists. Yeah. And then obviously Jurassic Park Schindler's List. I, I think what's interesting about this film, he said in many interviews that this is his favorite Indiana Jones film. Yep. Um, which I think is says something, right? Mm-hmm. To, to, to both of your point, I think that family becomes a very big deal, right? I mean, he has a bunch of kids. He, he settles down with, with Kate Capshaw. And I think that this film is kinder and sweeter and, and it's so fucking inviting and warm and lovely. Like, there's no way to hate this movie. But I don't know that he knows where he fits anymore in the Hollywood ecosystem. And you're seeing a guy getting pulled in a bunch of different directions, which I think is interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, and you know, it's, it's cause you're, you're right. I've, I've, I've read a few, uh, I, I never actually read that he flat out stated it was his favorite, but, yeah. but I've, I've always read between the lines that it is. I think he thinks of Raiders. And again, I'm, I'm sort of intuiting from, from comments he's made, but I think he thinks of Raiders as a very successful exercise. Like he wanted to, he wanted to make a Saturday more, a, a Saturday serial film the way yeah. that George had done Star Wars. Yeah. And it was and it was an experiment and he had his finite amount of time and and he loves it and is proud of it and, and all that. And a but fun thing to do with his buddy. I think fun thing to do with his buddy. Yeah. Um Temple of Doom, he's yeah. very down on. He considers that kind of a dark and I, I actually I love Temple of Doom. But a mistake. But, I mean he's kind of says he hates mistake. it. Yeah, yeah. he's sort of yeah. I don't think he's ever disavowed it. Maybe hating it is the wrong word, but he he acknowledges that he was in a dark place and the movie's dark and not what he really wants to do. And this felt, this felt like a sort of, not just a course correction from Temple of Doom, but a way to infuse, it's not, Ebert's kind of almost right. Like he's, he's gotten, he, he's amassed all these tools as a master filmmaker at this point. And he goes and takes this material and then infuses it with something with, with real heart and theme that, you know, the first one, I don't think the first one really has a theme apart from, you are not so different, you and I, Dr. Jones. I mean, it, yeah. it really is. And I'm, I'm not, that isn't necessarily a criticism. <laughs> I, I really love Raiders, but Raiders is an yeah. exercise. Raiders is a pastiche mm-hmm. done at the highest level. Mm-hmm. Whereas this has something to say about fathers and sons and faith and, and, mm-hmm. and reckoning with the way you were raised and the way that you have now lived your life and kind of, you know, reconnecting with, with, with with your um with with who you who you were as a kid and so I don't know it's, it's can it's, I also it's just interesting I, I want to say one just quick thing here um I, I also think that he's talked a lot about how one of the reasons he doesn't like Temple of Doom is because like once they get to the titular Temple of Doom yeah. uh, it's just it's it's just not a lot of fun like it's it's dark mm-hmm. and it's gloomy and whatever he he yeah, has like a nightmare of, yeah he's spoken movie. fondly of like the first twenty minutes which I think is the best part of Temple and the Doom. opening like, is wild that's what, yeah, yeah. Wild, which is right? very like James that, Bondy that's the most kind of yeah. indie as James Bond. Yeah. He's in a tux. He's yeah. Negotiating it's also with the closest gangster. he's come to making a musical because that whole yes. opening uh, yeah. sequence with Both with Capshaw, it's like yeah, yeah, very yeah, much Shanghai. Yeah. So I think so, it's I, I, this movie's the cleanest in terms of the MacGuffin too, right? Like it's just yes. it's this movie from a screenplay perspective is so clean. Sorry, Kenny, didn't mean to it that. is so. I, we I feel like we keep kind of couching the conversation in this movie's kinder and gentler and sweeter. All things that all things that are true. 
but it's also far more sophisticated, which I think Brian has been I alluding so to the whole yeah. time. I think you know, so when you too. say there's a there's a theme there yeah. um, that goes beyond, you know, totally. We're both rating this lost Dark, aren't we? Which, well, yeah, I, the Grail, the Grail, the, the MacGuffin means something. The MacGuffin <laughs> means something to his entire. The MacGuffin is the thing that he was jealous of his whole life. The thing that yes, that consumed and, his father and took his father away from him. That's and, and phenomenal. Critically, critically in this movie, and the reason why the other two, I think, uh, are essentially like kind of surface movies with almost no subtext, doesn't mean they're not fun. They're 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 certainly they're certainly fun to be had. But Indiana Jones in this movie is not on a quest for the chalice. He is looking for his right. father explicitly, right? He is, and 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 my issue. This came up in the Mummy episode a little bit. My issue <laughs> with the Indiana Jones series has always been the premise is fucked, right? The premise deep down is about Americans or Europeans going into uh, lesser developed countries, <laughs> taking their shit to put in our museum, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's what the mummy no. is about. That's I'd agree, except for they never succeed in getting them into the museums. That is, that's true. That, that's, true. that's true. But that you is that, the that, filmmakers <laughs> seem to know that there's something fucked about it. But Indy, I don't think Indy does. So. <laughs> no, no, I don't think Indy does. No. <laughs> because Indy, that should be in a museum. Well, no, no maybe yeah. the well, museum until this one, it. until the end. I mean, we did let it, you know, letting it go. You that's know. the point. Elsa that's never right. really believed in the Grail. She just so thought that, she'd found a prize. You're, 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 you're right. That's what. <laughs> I, that's the case I'm making. The case yeah, I'm making is this yes. is the one where Indy actually grows up yeah, and realizes totally. the real the real prize is his relationship with his, with his father. So. So yeah. that's one thing I love about it. I, I think the Indiana yeah. Jones character is fun and swashbuckling and James Bond in a fedora. And Phil knows how I feel about James Bond too, um, which is he's a little boring with the exception of like Casino Royale. He's not a fan. Mm. Exception, of, exception of some of the Sam Mendes movies where they actually deepen that character, where they actually go into his childhood and his psyche. And that's exciting. Mm-hmm. So that's what they do in this movie for me. They introduce yeah. his father. They introduce this unattainable love his, that, that, you know, is his father. His father always preferred searching for this grail over him. Mm-hmm. I also am wild about the fact that Sean Connery is a goofball and he's a fuck. Oh. And it's there's some that that speaks so much more to fathers and sons than yeah. if he was super bond. I mean, super Indiana. Well, Jones. yeah. And that's and that's totally what they would do now. They would make him yes. old indie. Super easy. and 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 you and he know he can't do anything right in this guy's eyes because you know he he can't land the plane. Well, he just Sean Connery throws him out on the wing and he lands right the plane right. Which and, and it's so funny because you know this is probably the first time I was fully aware of Sean Connery as a kid. I mean, I think I'd seen him Same. in Darby O'Gill and the Little People, but I wouldn't have seen James Bond <laughs> yet. So, but I'm thinking to myself, moviegoers in '89 going to see this. This was an entirely they'd never seen Sean Connery do this. Sean Connery was always the alpha. Mm-hmm. Um, I well, don't I think, think he'd ever played too. this kind of goofy, you know, the guy who accidentally shoots the wing off the plane. Like, I'm sorry, son, they got us, you know. Yeah, got us. Um, <laughs> like, uh, I don't think he'd done that before. Um, so it must have been a either. real kind of, you know, um, it, it's sort of an ingenious thing that, that Spielberg did, thinking of of him for well, the role, you know. A couple of things on that. I mean, one is I, 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 I love the idea that, that Indiana Jones would – look up to somebody who is of a super high intellect 
and mm-hmm. not of a super high alpha male kind of, you know, mm-hmm. whip them and throw snakes around type thing. Um, yeah. So that's that's who that character is to me, or that's who the character. That's who I always wanted to believe the character was. I was always taken with Raider by the fact that this guy is an archaeologist professor. It's like mm-hmm. that, that's who we're following. Holy shit! That's, you call that's this cool. archaeology? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's what's also fun about this one is is much more so than the other two. Certainly, the second one, um, but yeah. but even much more so than the first one. He's really solving puzzles. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the the sort of the fun and bringing on Brody and the sort of decoding of and, and you know it's it's pretty, never they're, not the, they're not the most sophisticated puzzles. They see some Roman numerals yeah. and they <laughs> they find the X in the they put it together. But, but yeah. you sort of feel like there's a sense of. Um, kind of problem solving and academics doing work in it that I really like, even if it's very broad, you know, you, especially when you're a kid and you it really feels like, Ooh, yeah. That, you know, that just those little exposition scenes that, and man, those, those are fucking hard to write. You guys know, like oh, yeah. uh, th- those, those kinds of exposition mythology scenes are so are, are death and, and well, they're so well done in this. And, you know, I guess Tom Stoppard, I guess did a pass, Jeffrey, yeah. Jeffrey Bowen wrote the bones of it. And then Stoppard sort of did a dialogue pass. And it's mm-hmm. even that scene of just, you know, Mark, Marcus Brody, who's wonderful. Denim Elliott is wonderful in this yes. movie. Um, yes. That scene where they're sitting kind of figuring out the diary stuff is, is great, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and economical and funny and, and, and witty. And you know. this, this movie so, is this movie. I mean, to your point about the exposition, and I said it's Hitchcockian. This movie is North by Northwest in the beginning. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Um, and throughout a lot of it, there's a lot of North by Northwest. There's some to catch, to catch a thief as well. Um, and I think that that's a cool kind of thing to overlay onto Indiana Jones, uh, as another kind of nod to Mm -hmm. cinema history. Um, yeah, it's sort of noirish because for the first act, he doesn't quite know. He doesn't know who's kidnapped his dad. He doesn't know who's after him. There's a little bit of. He doesn't know who he's working for. He doesn't know who he's working for. Yeah, there's a little bit of sort of Chandler esque, you know, in that first mm-hmm. scene with Donovan. Um, yep. Yeah, anyway. I'm not letting you go, Phil. The thing about Sean Connery that was interesting was uh, <laughs> Sean Con- I love that Sean Connery plays his doddering old fool, um, believably. And then he goes on to have another 10 years of action hero. Oh, yeah, he's um, Radius, the next, the next modern year. Act, yeah, yeah, modern action hero. You know, yeah. The Rock, up to entrapment in 1999. This guy is, uh, you know, he won the Oscar in 88 for a yep. not dissimilar kind of character, a man on his last legs in The Untouchables. Right. But a tough guy at Alpha. A this tough guy, yeah. a tough guy. Yeah. Um, but, 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 a, but a vet, right? Yes. And then he goes, then, then he has his run of ass kicking. Which is yeah. interesting. <laughs> no, it's true. And he never really does a role like this again. I mean, I think he should have won the Oscar for this. I fucking do. I'll say it. He's, oh, I oh, agree with you. I agree 100%. This is, I think, well, top. I, I mean, Kenny brings pirate. up Entrapment, and I, I swear it's a different person. Like, it's, it's, yeah. it, is, it is absurd to me that he – that it's, it's really ridiculous. Um, I want to just very quickly um, just breeze through a little bit of the pre-production of this movie, just in terms of the the story, because I think sure. that it taps into what you guys are talking about. What I think we... Kenny's, <laughs> Kenny's like, well, fuck Kenny, that. Kenny's not interested. He just left. <laughs> I would love to hear about the pre-production. I, I just need to get so, my charger. <laughs> I would love to hear about the pre-production okay. of this film. Um, so, so just, you know, for, for, uh, for our listeners, um, just to give a little bit of context in terms of how we got to the film that we got to, uh, first and, and perhaps foremost, maybe not, I don't know, because of this film, Spielberg had to drop it at directing two other films in 88. The first was hmm. big. The second was Rain Man. Uh, both of those wow. films would have been 
very different. Um, oh, I don't know what that might have been like, but um, man. Yeah, but Spielberg goes on record as saying that that he did this film for two reasons. The first was to fulfill a three-movie obligation he had made to Lucas. He said he would make three films. The second was to, quote-unquote, atone for the criticism he received for Temple of Doom. Um, Meets with Lucas, and they start to discuss a third Indiana Jones film, which was to focus on a haunted mansion of some sort. Right. Um, And Diane Thomas wrote a draft of this before she died. Um, Mm. But then Spielberg did Poltergeist relatively recently around the development of this and was like, I don't want to do another haunted house thing. Lucas came up to him with the idea of a Holy Grail and Spielberg added the idea of sort of the father-son notion of it. So the Holy Grail becomes the MacGuffin that they're chasing. Lucas and Spielberg decide that. Um, But they build a whole bunch of bullshit around it. And the reason I'm bringing this Mm. up is because it's going to, I think it's going to really shine a light on the cleanness of this fucking screenplay and how much bullshit they basically they decide that the grail is going to have this sort of pagan ideology next to it they're going to fold it into this monkey king mythology and the fountain of youth in africa and battling a ghost in scotland and there's this main plot device of the garden of immortal peaches and he asked indiana has to go to peaches indeed uh indiana has to go to uh, mozambique uh and he meets this uh, Catherine Hepburn, sort of African queen type character, who's found this 200 year old pygmy, which is kidnapped by Nazis. I mean, I swear, wow. I wish I was making this up, but it's just like there is so much noise yeah, yeah, around yeah. it. And what I think, hopefully, seemed to be the fucking takeaway, or at least what Jeffrey Bohm, who really kind of wrote the bones of it, was like, less is more. Just keep Mm -hmm. it on the father-son relationship. They're chasing the grail. The grail, you know, someone will drink from it at some point and something fucking supernatural will happen. But, like, when everything is said and done, keep it straight and clean. And, I mean, obviously, I couldn't agree with that more. And as part of why this movie works so well is that it's based on emotion rather than all sorts of other shit, which is also why Crystal Skulls doesn't work. Crystal Skulls doesn't work is because they they fall prey to all the shit that they developed with this movie that just never should have happened. Um, Wow. So, and and, I mean, Tom Stopper does a $120,000 rewrite on the dialogue. He's given a million dollar bonus after the film comes out and it's a big hit. Spielberg in an oral history said that all the junior senior stuff is all stoppered he said yeah. it was an emotional story i didn't want to get too sentimental their disconnection from each other was the basis for a lot of comedy and it gave tom stoppard who was credited a lot to write tom is pretty much responsible for every line of dialogue so yeah. i just think that it's interesting to sort of see not just how this film came to be but also the the mistakes they could have made and well, that and they it saw is, you know it is the wittiest script it is the most mm-hmm. d- delicious script it probably has the most dialogue of any indie movie i i, I must yeah. um that scene i mean god okay this is a wonderful line of dialogue it's great to talk with you guys about because because you're writers um when they're sitting on the blimp and he says you remember the last time we had a quiet drink i had a milkshake yeah that yeah. is yeah. phenomenal <laughs> Like that is that is four star. You've struck gold. Yep. You remember the last time we had a quiet drink? I had a milkshake. It's sad. It tells you exactly what you need to know. Like like, and and the movie is just full of that. It's just the economy, the the specificity, the the subversive kind of. You know, you think you think as the bad screenwriter is. Remember the last time we had a quiet drink? Yeah, I was twelve. 
And yep. you had just yep. ignored me for the 30th time. And I wanted to sh- – no, 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 fuck that. <laughs> I had a milkshake. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's like the scene, one of the best scenes in the movie also about uh, incredibly economic is them at the crossroads when oh, they're about – when, when they have that fight where basically Indy's like, fuck your book, man. We got to keep moving. And he's like, you don't get it. The book is important. And you get to learn about the mother, mm-hmm. which that's all you need is like that one line of dialogue. Mom didn't understand it either. Yeah. Like it's just the movie fully understands that less is more. Yeah. And – and I would I would say to Kenny's point about Raiders, and certainly when it comes to Temple of Doom and, and Crystal Skulls, that's why this film is so great, is because it yeah. doesn't worry about all that other bullshit. Do you guys know how hard it is in a third movie in a series to pull back, uh, and, and also a movie that's in development for a long time, to pull back on... Oh, yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I mean, the the, the yeah. instinct is to add more and more and more. And the other thing when something's in development longer and longer is you get bored of the stuff you're doing. So the things you think were great, your great endings, your great act outs now seem a little stale to you and you want to add more and add more. So to pull it back and do that thing you do on day one, which is I just want a simple story. Because that's whenever I start anything, it's I just want a simple story. I just want to tell a simple story. And then the bad stuff builds shit on top of shit on top of shit. So it, that's so impressive that in the third one, they cut away all the bullshit to find just the necessary necessary um, elements and made this beautiful but simple story. Yeah, I also... Really, oh, yeah, sorry, go, go ahead, ahead, sorry, go, go ahead, Brian. No, I'm just saying, it, it never really loses sight of what the movie is about. I mean, it starts, it, it, it peels the layers back and, and, and there are people with fundamental objections to just doing that with Indiana Jones. I think there were some fans that just wanted Indiana Jones to be... James Bond or Han Solo and and not know what makes him tick. I just I prefer I like seeing what makes him tick. But that's the that's the the setup of the movie. He, here he is as a kid. Um there's sort of a cheeky meta kind of solo a Star Wars story uh prologue that shows you how he got the scar and how I got the but it's it's okay because it's not a whole movie of that. It's just yeah. it's just a little teaser and it basically says we're going to strip him down. We're going to take this guy that you've sort of held up as this sort of mythic character mm-hmm. and uh, expose a vulnerability uh, underneath. And the, the, the prologue preps for that, and the movie never really loses sight of that. And it, it, it undoes the tropes of the indie movie beautifully. The, the love interest is, is a perfect example where, you know, you think Elsa Snyder, if you're coming mm-hmm. in, uh, you think she's the next Marion or the next uh, uh, Willie. And yeah. the, the, the girl of the movie. And then you realize right quick, oh, no, actually, not only is she the villain, which is great, and that's a wonderful heel turn, and, um, but the love story of the movie is, 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 and the co-star of the movie is the dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just kind of does that throughout. And the villains are, are perfectly serviceable and solid and just threatening enough to give our villains, or give our heroes obstacles, but the villains don't overtake the movie. I think... Yeah, I mean, I... I, I, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, please, go, go, sorry. And one more thought. One thing Batman did us us dirty with, I'll say, (laughs) the 89 Batman, is this villain taking over your movie thing. Now, Jack Nicholson is amazing in Batman. Mm -hmm. From then on, there was this, and I've heard so many fucking execs say to me, you know, these movies are only as good as their villains. Bullshit. Yeah. Bullshit. Sometimes you just uh, need a villain to be an antagonist. Walter Donovan... Played by Julian Glover, who I worked with for for uh, many many years in Game of Thrones, um, uh, a, a solid villain, 
nasty when he needs to be, shoots dad there at the end, and that's as chilling a villainous act as anything great. in the series. It's great. Mm-hmm. But he's just, he is what he is. He's a guy who wants the grail. He's gotten the Nazis. He's fallen in with the Nazis. That's all we need. That's all we need. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's... I think that this film, if if we're to take development at its word or the things that we know about the development, is that Jeff Bohm strips away all the bullshit, like, smoke and mirrors of mythology yeah. and monkey kings and stuff that they don't need. And he's just like, just get down to the bare bones of it. And then it's Tom Stoppard who gets into the guts of the characters and the wit of the movie. Mm. And that's sort of just this perfect marriage of these things that allows this film to unquestionably, if we're talking about on a script level, if we're talking about, like, this is a script that should be studied in screenplay classes because it's just, it's so fucking on rails. Like, it knows what it is. Well, you know what's interesting? Raiders is the one that is actually studied in screenplay classes. Raiders Raiders is considered, like, by a lot of screenwriters to be that perfect studio script, which in a lot of ways it is when you're talking about plot and structure. But I, I think I agree with you, Phil, because, you know, that film doesn't grab me on an emotional level. And even, you know, it's interesting when you're talking about the Elsa character. Um, that relationship is more complicated, nuanced, and deep than your typical, oh, she was bad all along relationship. At the, end of the, at the end of the movie, he saves her life and he's ready to save her life again. Yeah. When, he pull, when he's trying to pull her up, he calls her honey. Like, yeah, it's genuinely upsetting when she goes. Yeah. And there's be, be, yeah. because there's genuinely something good there. Like she, you know, when they're burning books, she nearly sheds a tear. Like okay. she, this is again, this is 19, I think it takes place in 30, I, I want to say 31. No, I think it's like uh, 37 or 38. 37, all right, so right before, right, right before, before World War II. World War II. Yeah, it's 38, yeah. yeah. So it's, 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 and it's, just where you could still be part of the Nazi party without completely knowing exactly what they're doing. You could have so, your plausible deniability if you wanted to if, look yourself in the mirror and then, and yeah. There, yeah. And there is, in, in, in to the whole, you know, we're not that different, Mr. Jones, they're not that different either. To, in the end of the day, all these characters, uh, certainly Julian Glover are, and Elsa, are willing to use whatever army they can find to get them what they want, right. which I think is like kind of, you know, there is kind of a, a commentary on, on, on globalism, global warfare, strange bedfellows, you mm-hmm. know, strange global alliances, things like, I mean, the, the people we're in bed with as a country that do things that we find completely deplorable, but, you know, they happen to be on our side in this particular conflict. So, um, you know, we're not so different, Mr. Jones. <laughs> Okay, we gotta stop for a second because it feels like it's getting echoey again. Am I crazy? Oh, I don't know. Is it? Am I echoey? No, now you sound fine. I thought it was okay. Okay, I'm sorry. My apologies. I thought I thought it was just the timber in my voice was raising. When I talk about global global, it was just the yeah. It was it was the. You're not hearing that right now. No, am I only hearing that? Hearing what? There was that. There's an echo with Kenny. I don't know, man. Never, never mind. Is uh, this? Yeah, I didn't, to be honest. I was just so enraptured with what Kenny I, was I, saying. No, I, Kenny sounds fine. Sorry. He sounded fine most of it. There was just a little bit there. It doesn't matter. Let's just keep going. My apologies. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Uh, um, <laughs> can, 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 well, no, while, um, while we're... 
while we're paused yes. for a really quick second here, yeah. can we can we kill the Zencaster? Yes, yeah, yeah. Just just okay. everyone except for Kenny. Uh, well, but that's okay. Is it's Kenny close to being done? I'm just wondering if that's having an effect here. Because right. I, I killed the Zencaster a long time ago. Uh, no, Kenny's not not even close to done, especially on the first Jesus one. Christ. Hmm. I hope the first one uploads. Yeah, I'm worried that we're not gonna get any of it. No, it, it, they'll get it. It's fine. All right, mm-hmm. Kenny. Why is Kenny muted right now? Is there a reason why Kenny is muted right now? Okay. No. Okay. Well, I All right. Let's go. Okay. Let's keep going. Um, so uh, I just let. Yeah, yes, you were saying right. No, 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 please. please. No, 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 please. Back on track. No, no, uh, I don't really remember what I was saying. Oh, yeah, um, so I just think it's, it's, uh, it's it's strong in theme, it's strong in character, and then... And, you know, it kind of does what a lot of of long-running series do, is you do allow yourself to have a little more of a wink and a little more of a a comic uh, uh, sensibility. Even, you know, even like, you know, Ford mugs at the camera, you know, ah, Venice, and then gets you know pulled down. Or even, or even when like Elsa sees the sketch of the uh, Ark of the Covenant, she goes, "Are you sure?" He's like, "Pretty sure." Oh like, yeah, yeah, stuff Which, like that where you're just like, you sort of earn that by your. You earned that, now. yeah. But it kind of feels like you know that you know like the third Thin Man movie or 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 the you know, the Hope and Crosby pictures. It's it's got that kind of old Hollywood sort of. We know this is a sequel thing that that is endearing. It's not. It's it just it just it. If it went a little farther, it would become annoying. But but at least to me, it's um, it's endearing. But I just uh, yeah, I just I just I, I love it, and I think it's it's got. I want to show you. What, you know, now's a good time. Here's my love my, it. My Indiana Jones LP. Is that a laser disc? I was I was no, gonna say, is that a laser disc or a vinyl? No, this is the vinyl. The vinyl record. Oh, that back so is fucking good. dope. That's cool. Back's dope. What's fun is it came with. I I, I ordered this because it's. This is, the, this is an original pressing. They haven't like done some, but it, I found the the Lucasfilm oh, wow. fan club sign up letter <laughs> inside. I, I gotta tell you, Brian, if the, if if you're listening to this podcast yeah. and you only signed up for audio, you are missing out. That's right. Let, watch the video because you could see <laughs> me displaying my my. You it's know, pretty I, fucking I could, cool. I could mm-hmm. Show you how to order. Assuming that the Lucasfilm fan club PO box in Aurora, Colorado, is still in operation, uh, you could get uh, 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 any number of Indy Three watches. Um, That's pretty. Or bad. the Lucasfilm fan club magazine. But I was delighted because I, I ordered this. I found this online, and 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 it was I, when I saw this thing in here, I was so excited. Anyway, can I? I have a, I have a question. Cool. I have a question for you guys because it, it it piggybacks on what you're saying, Brian, a little bit in terms of. Um, what they've earned up until this point, and it also taps a little bit into Spielberg's oeuvre up until this point as well. Hmm. One of the things that I noticed this time around, and perhaps I was watching this movie with under a little bit more of a microscope than in the past because I knew we were about to sit down to do this. So sure. yeah, take that for what it's worth. But I did find that some of the humor is pretty broad at times. Like it's one millimeter away from being too broad. Yes. Um, and And... It, it made me think about how not great Spielberg is at humor. He's very, this movie works. This movie works because it's, it is running on your adoration of these characters already, right? Mm-hmm. And I think about like 1941, for instance, where like he's just, he, when he does an out and out comedy, 
it just doesn't really work. But he can infuse comedic elements into his films relatively seamlessly. And this film, which at times, I mean, the gag that comes to mind is like the stamp in the library. Oh, when yeah. The guy, sure. Right? Like, <laughs> which is, that's like... A millimeter from a Mel Very Brooks silly. movie, you yeah. know what I mean? Like it's it's and but it works, right? But well, the one the one for me is when he throws the guy out of the zeppelin and yeah. says he didn't have a no ticket. ticket, and then then everyone raises up their tickets like they don't want to get punched out of the zeppelin. Um, but it's, it's it's that kind of dry delivery. Yes, I think the fact yes. that you've got Harrison Ford and Sean Connery <laughs> who have that wonderful kind sure. of dry uh, sincerity doing mm-hmm. it. You have Stoppard who who gives it a bit of yes. panache. Yes. Um, because I agree. In lesser hands, it's very clowny. And there are plenty right. of fans who think it is clowny. Um, I, I think the reputation for this movie has grown quite a bit in the last few years. But whenever I would have arguments uh, with others at a big, like, I don't say fight, but like heated argument with Alex Graves, the director on Game of Thrones. And, and, oh, wow. Um, Alex Graves directed many of sure. the great West Wing episodes and is a, is a friend. But he, he was not having my, my <laughs> love of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Um, Come on, Graves. But again, age difference. He is, he is an old man, and I'm, I'm a young whippersnapper. I like that. But, um, but no, uh, uh, but I think it's that. I think it's, um, uh, but I mean, I swear, there's this one bit that my kids love so much that I, I now do it for them. They say, do the bit, do the Marcus Brody. And it is, it's the, my favorite bit in the whole thing is when the camera zooms in and he's like, Brody's got friends and his contacts in every country. Oh, it's so good. Here to the Sudan, he speaks a dozen languages, knows every local custom. He'll disappear, blend in. You'll never see him again. With any luck, he's got the grail already. And then it cuts to, hello, does anyone here speak English? (laughs) (laughs) That is so... I've seen this movie 3,000 times. I laugh out loud every time. And what's great about it, again, it works because it's playing with your feelings as a viewer of Brody. You've watched Raiders of the Lost Ark. Raiders of the Lost Ark would have you believe that if Brody, and Brody even has a line in Raiders where he's like, oh, if I was only a little younger, I'd go with you. And you think, yeah. oh, oh, Brody was a proto-indie or, <laughs> sure, or an sure. earlier indie. Yeah. And, and, and nothing up until this point in the movie has made you think that Brody <laughs> isn't that because all you've seen yeah. up until this point is Brody helping to decode the, the there's every reason to believe Indy in that moment. So yep. that when you <laughs> then cuts to it, I know like, it's so funny. Oh no! He, <laughs> There's also another moment right. that made me laugh on this watch was when he's on the tank. He's like, "How do you get off this thing?" And he just fucking oh, yeah. <laughs> elbows him in the face, and he just rolls right off. <laughs> what would great. you guys say Steven Spielberg's funniest movie is? I mean, this is it one might of them. be this. It's it might this. Be this. It this might is the <laughs> I'm trying to think um, if there's any. I mean, I actually, I think Raiders is funny too, to be honest. Yeah, Raiders, I, think, I mean, the, 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 yeah. the, the gag, nothing, I mean, the, the sword and the shooting the guy gag is still one of the The gag that things. I love in Raiders um, is the mirror gag. The mirror when they're gag. on the boat and, oh, yeah. the, two, oh, sure. and the two yeah. mirrors and, and, yeah. and Marion is looking at her so she just fucking whips it around and smacks yeah. him in the yeah. face and it cuts to a wide shot of the boat and him just screaming. <laughs> like, and that's what... That's yeah. what's fun. I mean, both these movies, they, they, I think this movie is more clever. I think this movie movie. Yeah, I think you're I right, think Kenny. It's, it's, it's clever. Mm-hmm. The dialogue is clever. There's wordplay. There's witticism. Um, there, in both of the movies, there's also physical comedy. A lot yeah. of physical comedy. Oh, yeah. Um, slapstick and, the, you know, the, this, this fighting comedy. Outside of the indie movies, uh... <laughs> The one oh, that jumps on in the head that's not that funny. The post is, is funny. The post. <laughs> Munich. Have you guys seen Munich? Munich. 
Yeah, um, right. No, but you're but right. I, I, the, he the one that really, just, uh, he the really... one that jumps to mind is Cash Me If You Can, which isn't that funny, yes. but is yes. kind of. Oh it, yes. It, it does yes. kind of have this like, it, it hits all the same pleasure centers as mm-hmm. a funny movie would. Yeah, um, that movie's, kind of a, that movie's a romp. Like yes. that movie is this like globe trotting kind it's of. It's almost a musical. In fact, thing. it became a Broadway oh musical God, later. Like I mean, it it, it, it it is very much a musical without songs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if I'm missing some obvious. Well, it should. Answer. This movie is undeniably but, um, funny, Kenny. I agree yeah. with you. You know, you have lines like "I should have mailed it to the Marx Brothers." I mean, these are oh, these are so just good. like these are fucking laugh lines. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like it's and and part of it is speaks to you know what you love, what you both love about it so much, and obviously I do too. But the father son dynamic gives you that ability to be able to sort of do the whole junior thing, which is just always funny. Um, it's it's just. It's just good stuff. And then I would, I, I, let's just kind of breeze through the plot. We all obviously know it, but I just want to say like the opening sets the tone for this movie better perhaps than any movie we've covered the opening is thus so far. Funny. Oh yeah, the prologue it's is phenomenal. Fucking <laughs> yeah. best. And River it's, Phoenix, my God. Uh, Has there like, ever in the history of movies been a better actor playing a younger version of a character performance ever? No, Do you know why in this movie? Because apparently River Phoenix said that his performance was not based on playing Indiana Jones. It was based on playing Harrison Ford. Yeah, he's doing like Harrison he's Ford. He's doing Harrison Ford. It's perfectly. astonishing. And my understanding is Harrison Ford was the one who said cast River Phoenix because he's yeah. the actor that reminds me most of myself. Right. Well, and he played his son so, in from Mosquito, Mosquito Coast. Coast. So yeah. I guess yes, they, he did. they worked yes, together. Yeah. And but I mean, he was even, also nominated for an Oscar this year, River Phoenix. He was nominated for an Oscar for Running on Empty. That's right. So River oh. Phoenix, oh, wow. yeah. It is kind of interesting, but the, the, please go ahead on, uh, on the opening. Just, just every little thing, saying. like his his mannerisms, like the slightest, just like you know, yes. everybody's lost but me. Like it's it's best. it's as if Ford so possessed him, like a yeah. ghost for those you know we, that week or two weeks of shooting. Also um, physically, right? The way he runs, the way he goes down oh, that yeah. canyon, the way he jumps, the way he stops, the way yeah, it's really a wonderful wonderful sequence. And he, what I really love most about it when i think of uh uh raiders and when i think of temple of doom i think sand and i think muted and i think sure. you know kind of those 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 arabian that arabian uh color palette to start this with the circus train mm. is, is 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 after my heart to yeah. start this with a circus train because i you know i'm a huge fan of period of, of things, you know, period pieces, thing, things set in, in the past that don't feel like your typical, like, you know, it was all hobo trains. Yeah, the, this is, this is the, the, the circus train was a thing that existed at the time. Sure. The, not every train was a circus train, but it's not implausible that you could have found yourself on a train with rhinoceroses and Dr. Fantasy's, you know, magic room. It's not implausible, yeah. and, and, and considering that it's plausible, what a wonderful choice to make. What a fun way to start this movie. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, like, yeah. it's like he's a Boy Scout. Like, it's every little, it's like boyhood adventure, Hardy yeah. Boys. It's his Hardy Boys movie in, in those, you know, in that 10 minutes, however long it is. Uh, mm-hmm. I think there's, I, I think the thing to, to, you know, not to keep the comparisons with Raiders going, but I think that one of the things this movie does too is it takes every all, all the things that you associate with Indiana Jones movie, dials it up just enough that it feels a little bit bigger, it feels a little bit more joyous. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's tactile. Like the thing that I found 
that I love so much about this is how much practicality there is in it. You know, mm. it's just fucking cars Me racing too. up to a fucking train. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, th- it's old fashioned thrills, man. Old yeah. fashioned thrills. It's a yeah. motorcycle chase. It's just like things that are happening in front of you that you know are happening in front of you. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, one of the things that I love in this opening, I'm sure you guys do, one of the best time cuts ever is the hat down then up and it's oh, Indiana Jones with the music coming up here they love yeah. that. it's just like how can yeah. you not yeah um then you've got and this amazing fucking boat sequence that's clearly on a soundstage in a tank and it's the best yeah it's great and the, and the guy and the guy in the hat those wonderful visuals yeah. you know um, I, the other thing that I loved at this whole thing is is you know how practical is how tactile everything is the the old Hollywood filmmaking out of it all because all these mm-hmm. interiors are, are are built. They're all built out. They're all stages. None of these are practical in, uh, interiors, and a lot of the exteriors are, are are built out as well. And I do think that there's almost um, a shame in doing that these days, right? Totally. There's almost, you, there's a, when, when you have a when you have a budget, you're supposed to go on location and find these fancy places and 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 you know and and you know shoot in the actual uh, temples and shoot in the actual libraries. But you don't have the control over every aspect the way you do in this movie. And I don't mind being reminded in that way that I'm watching a movie. I'm not a dummy. I know I'm watching a movie. Give me the best movie possible. <laughs> well, but that was the beauty, though, of, of these, those first three is, is films is that, yes, there's a lot of incredible sets. Douglas Slocombe, Slocombe, Slocom, I'm not sure how you pronounce his name. But um, the, way he, the way he shot it and lit it, um, there's a good mix of practical locations. Like, you know, that, that Canyon to the Crescent Mood Temple, I, th- I believe they did shoot that in Tunisia yeah. or Jordan or some, mm-hmm. somewhere like that. It's in Jordan, yeah. It's a Jordan. Um, and then you go in. The problem I had, and I don't want to spend this ragging on the fourth one, but the problem with the fourth one is entirely shot in Culver City, and it shows. <laughs> entirely shot in Culver City, and that includes the exteriors because it was green screen. And, it yeah. was, and, and Kaminsky does, does, you know, a great, great cinematographer, but it doesn't. The main issue I have with Crystal Skull, apart from any of the other stuff, is it doesn't. It doesn't look like an Indiana Jones movie, you yeah. know. And that and 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 that kind of just again that old fashioned movie making sort of uh, spirit. That, well, you 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 bring up uh, Douglas Slocum, which I'm assuming is how you say his name. My I think it's Slocum. Slocum, sorry, Slocum, um, who only shot these three Indiana Jones films for Spielberg. It's the only films of his that he directed, that he was mm. the director of photography on. This guy goes back like to the fucking 20s. Like this is a guy who's yeah. been, who had been directing films or shooting films, that is, for many, many, many years. And there is that, to your point, you feel it. You feel like yeah. a guy who's been making these things for decades and not to take anything away from Kaminsky, who is a tremendously no, talented cinematographer, not. but it is to your point, it doesn't look like an Indiana Jones film in last in, in Crystal Skulls. Yeah. Whereas this, you know, this is the last film that Slocum directs. He's going blind at this point, unfortunately. Um, wow. So this is the last movie that he directs, uh, that he's a director of photography of. And it's just beautiful. One of the scenes that I love the way it's shot is the scene when uh, Indy has has rescued uh, Henry and they stumble upon, stumble upon Elsa being kidnapped by the Nazi. And you have this beautiful, like the lighting of it is sunset, but it's like, it's fire and you've got all these shadows. And it's just like, it's just, 
there is something in the way, and it's interesting that Spielberg doesn't ever use him for any other films, which I imagine is because of the period component, right? Mm-hmm. Which is that he wants these films to feel like those old serials of the time. Mm-hmm. So he's got a guy who basically shot those. Yeah, um, so it's just, it's really interesting. Um, but yeah, so it, sort of, you know, a couple other things to jump through the plot a little bit that I really love. I love all the, the any scene with Indiana Jones talking to his uh archaeological students i guess or whatever this class is that he's oh teaching. yeah yeah those are always fun um yeah. are just fantastic him especially considering the world we live in right now indy saying that archaeology is the search for fact not truth really hits home right now mm-hmm. uh with the world that we live in um the uh, you know the x not marking the spot and the callback of that later is just it's great stuff Mwah. Mwah. Yep. Um, I mentioned this on Twitter, but I, I wanted to say it. It's a great little piece of trivia, which is that when Indy goes to meet Donovan and Donovan's wife comes into the study to tell him he's neglecting his guests, the Imperial March from Star Wars can be heard being played on the piano in the background. Which I've never I heard that. Just, it's incredible. I, when you wrote that, I was like, what? I immediately went <laughs> and lo- yeah. watched it. It's the best. And that's um, Julian's real life wife, uh, Isla Blair. Um, oh, who plays his wife. That's, Which is that. also actually a really great touch. It's such an innocuous little thing. And maybe it was conceived just to be a cameo f- for his wife for fun. But it's, it, it sets you at ease. Oh, he's got a nice wife. Yeah. <laughs> he's not a bad guy. He can't be a bad guy. He's got a nice wife. He's, he's throwing a party. You know, it's just I'm, a little touch there that's great. I'm the kind of viewer and maybe the kind of human who I don't want to believe anybody is bad. No, I me too. Me too. I, when I first saw uh, the movie, I fell for it. I was like, no, but not even this movie. Like every movie I see, I'm like, really? man, I really hope that guy's good. Man, no. I really hope that guy doesn't double cross him. Now, when man, I was 10, I, really, I fell for both. Uh, yeah, no, but I'm, I'm, I'm almost 40. But again, my, my son is the opposite. My son is like, that's the bad guy. That guy's going to turn. Like, they'll just stop moving and be like, all right, this is what's going to happen. They're going to get close to the. I'm just like, shut up, watch the movie. Oh, that's right. a whole. I like your, kids, that. your kids are sharper than mine. Both, both of my kids were, when, when Elsa turned bad, they were heartbroken. Yeah. Like, they were just, I get, they were sort of like, but that's the girlfriend character. She can't yeah. be a bad guy. <laughs> and she's I a, think that's she's the most. Elsa, too. Yeah, she's terrific. <laughs> no, the proto Elsa. Why was Allison Duty a big deal? Is it her? Was it I her thought last that name? too. That's yeah. the last name. Her only, her only major Hollywood, her big Hollywood follow up to this movie, which is one of the biggest movies of all time at the time, is the love interest of Charlie Sheen in Major League Two. The bad love interest. That's right? the best she, she can. She is the in that movie. Of course, I've seen this movie fifty times. She's she she is emblematic of like the wrong choice. Right. Whereas right. like his ex girlfriend who like basically takes care of like underprivileged children is right. emblematic of the right path. But that right. was but it for she, her. That was it. I mean, yeah. she. I think well, she's worked, but she. She's didn't only ever like twenty one, and when she made this movie, I think she's, she's great. brilliant she's great in, in this movie. I think she has a her reaction when uh when when Julian Glover's dying in front of her. Oh, oh she's doing good I love stuff. It. Great oh, she's stuff. She's so good. She's terrific. She's terrific. Yeah. Although the look on her face like before saucer. that, when she when when she knowingly gives him a fucked up grail, knowing that he's going to die, she's got a real mustache twirly <laughs> moment there. Yeah. I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't buy that should've. at all. I don't buy that at all. Yeah. He knowingly gives him a bad. You think she? You think the whole thing? You think she knew what chalice it was? No, oh, but sure. she knew she was giving him. She the knew wrong she was one. giving him a bad one. Hundred percent. Oh yeah, she knew that the she's smart. She knows she's killing him. She oh, even yeah. says it's a she. They even have like a moment is like when, look for yeah. a 
look yeah, for a know, carpenter's she kills him. She kills him. She yeah. kills him. For sure. Yeah, I don't think so. I, okay. It's not that I don't. It's not that I don't think. Him. It's not that I don't think so. It's that it's that it's the presupposition that if she wanted to find the right cup, she could have, which I don't believe. I don't think she had any concept of what the right cup is. Oh yeah, so, she did. Yeah, she did. Yeah, she did. Oh, yeah. Really? <laughs> For sure. Oh yeah. Really? Because she's smart. She's a. She's. A, and she she's also studying. knows that she's. He's dumb, and he, yeah. she gives him just the most like gaudy cup. She when knows, are we, she knows when, that his vanity when are, will. When yeah. are we supposed to figure this out? When, when you look at her like, face, she's like. When she's like. No, 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 yeah, no, no not that. Right. It's not, not that. subtle. Not that. When are we supposed to figure out that? The carpenter's cup is the, you know, the, the crummiest cup there. Are we supposed to know when he pulls it out? I, I think the second she chooses mm-hmm. a fancy cup and he's like, oh. I disagree. This and I'll tell you be why. The, the cup I of the disagree. King of and I'll tell you why. I disagree okay. and I'll tell you why. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Because when Han, when, when Han Solo, when Harrison <laughs> Ford goes to pick his cup, uh-huh. they, just, they, they, they make a point to first focus on a gaudier cup. And you're supposed to believe that he's about to choose a gaudier cup. Okay. And then they rack focus to the crappier cup that he winds up choosing. Which is to say, you, I don't think the audience is any... First, and you don't even know it's there. You think they're all just beautiful cups. I don't think the audience has any concept of what the right cup is. And I don't think anyone other than, than Indy has any idea what the right cup is. That's my read on it. I don't think you. I, I would watch it again. Because <laughs> he's, he's saying, he say, he immediately says it wouldn't be gold. Like the first yeah. thing he says wouldn't be gold, and they're looking around, and then they rack to the cup, and yeah. the second to, to she, she hands him to that himself. thing, you're like, no, he's saying it to Elsa, who also has been on this. I mean, this is the I think the brilliance of Elsa's yeah. character <laughs> is that I think that they do something really interesting with Elsa's character, which up until this viewing. She was not one of my favorite foils or what or or you know indies ladies whatever you want to call it. I think they actually do a really interesting job of having her ping pong between good and bad in a yeah. believable way, so that when she dies at the end and he says, "Honey, like I can't hold you," like there, that moment is really powerful because of the fact that she is grappling with good and evil inside her, and I think they do a really great job of that in this film. Um, why didn't she I don't drink know. from the good cup herself? Oh Genius. Let's, we're going to move past this. Why, why wouldn't she drink from the good cup herself? 
She wanted to take it. What does that even mean? I think she's happy to give it to Indy and save uh, Henry. His she father. feels bad Henry oh, got shot. I'm sure, she's, I'm sure she's happy to save Henry. I'm not saying that. But someone had to be the taste tester. Well, she knows she's in person, an Indiana Jones movie. And the and person, I think that's the answer. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm, I am confident. But not called Elsa the Schneider the in The Last Crusade. It's, uh, <laughs> the point, well, they, they, <laughs> the point, the, I think the point they're making is that only Indy would know. Or, or I, I assume, you know, Henry would know, but just can I? I'm just gonna I'm gonna split hairs here a little bit and 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 get in sort of the. I think ultimately, to your point, Kenny, I do not think that Elsa has looked at this entire thing and knows which one is the right one. But she also knows that she's given him the wrong one. Well, yeah, sure. That's yes. the point we're trying to. Make. I would. I would. Yes. I that, that's that's what we're trying. She to absolutely, make. is murdering him. One thousand percent, she's murdering him. All right, guys. Um. All that being said, Indy immediately hits on Elsa the second he gets off the fucking plane and sees her. Like, right. there isn't even, like, they don't even exchange pleasantries before he's like, and everything else belongs to yeah. you, baby. <laughs> it's like, yes, you have your father's eyes and my mother's ears. But the rest well, of the rest she belongs to you. Wait, doesn't um, she? And then yeah. she, oh, oh, then she has a great line back. She says, uh, it looks like I've already lost. Yeah, it looks like oh, yeah. they're, 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 they're well, immediately the best attracted to each other. And then he, yeah. he gives her the rose, which is so yes, cool. Yeah. Marcus is He's, like, I'm sorry, but the reason we're here, you know, it's great. It's great. It's the, that to me, that's the, that, that is the indie <laughs> that I think uh, the fanboys want him to be. And yeah, that's he the James is. Bond sort of rogue. He, it, he is more James Bond than James Bond's ever been. In that mm-hmm. scene, because mm-hmm. James, I, James Bond bores me because women drop their pants for him no matter what, no matter what he says. He never does anything interesting or clever. He's just James <laughs> Bond. He he looks good and he has a gun. Uh, he really does woo her in that scene. He's super <laughs> suave and super cool. Well, yeah, and then and then, but even more importantly, you know, what, and what, the reason I like the relationship, and in many ways, she's in some ways she's my favorite of the of the love interests because they're 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 it's the only time intellectually with a colleague, yep. yeah, a true colleague. Um, and so they solve the problem together and there, and then he, she immediately proves herself to be a woman of action. So that attracts him to her, you know, they're down there in that sewer within she, 20 with minutes of knowing so each cool. other. She's so and there's cool, that great bro. shot where she's looking at him kind of etching the thing yep. and she's like, Oh, I like him. I like him. Um, you know, so, and so I, as such, you, 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 you feel something when <clears throat> you, 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 they actually did have a connection in, in spite of her, uh, ulterior motives. I also like. I no. sorry. Go ahead, Kenny. I would have liked a moment, and this is again. This is this is my like you know deep down desire that everyone's good and that everything you know is pure. I would have liked a moment where almost the opposite of the you know we're not so different, Mister Bond moment, where she basically could have said to him, or he could have said to her, but I think it would have been her saying to him. If not for these circumstances we were we found ourselves in, mm-hmm. we would have been perfect for each other. Does that make sense? If if not for finding ourselves on the opposite sides of this chase for the chalice, like I think we might have been destined for each other. And it would have required a little more character depth and a little more relationship building between them. But that is that to me there is something that great and that like kind of lovely about the relationship. Mm. And a lot of it comes from what you said, Brian, the fact that like, you know, you say they're colleagues and they're intellectual equals. We're saying the same thing. She's, she is a person who challenges him. He's a person who challenges her. They're yeah. put, they go on adventures together and they can actually have, they could have shared a life. 
if she wasn't a Nazi. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think, think that's implied yeah. to a degree. But but I will say, uh, to, to play devil's advocate a bit on, on what you said, the movie's smart enough to recognize that the main emotional relationship of the movie is, the love story is him and his dad. And mm-hmm. I think it, it has just enough of, of uh, him and Elsa and their connection where you feel bad when she dies and he has that moment looking at her, but then they, within three seconds, can be making a joke about the dog being named Indiana. And yeah, like, yeah, okay, yeah. And you feel it's okay about Elsa. <laughs> they can write off. Elsa's dead. I, I, <laughs> you know, there's, there's, a couple, there's a couple moments with Elsa that I think are, are tremendous. Uh, what I like about the, the catacomb stuff when they're underneath the library is the whole sequence is amazing, but it's a little bit like... To your earlier point, Kenny, he's challenging her for the first time. She's playing catch up, right? Like she's just trying to stay at his level. And he's, you know, obviously Indiana Jones and he's, you know, perhaps a couple steps ahead of her. And there's just a really great vibe between them. Um, it's also, the, I, would, I would argue, it's the grossest or scariest sequence in the film is that whole rats in the underground mm-hmm. tunnel. It's the most Amazing. Indiana Jonesy temple. Of, yeah. It's so good. And those so, kinds of sequences are much more prevalent in the earlier two. You're absolutely correct. right. This is the yeah. only creature gross-out scene in the whole movie. I oh, still don't know how they th- all these rats. How do you rats like, the rat wrangling? Are, rats rat are wrangler. the grossest. Yeah. Much yes. more, much grosser. I would than much snakes. rather do a scene with a snake or a tarantula than a fucking. Oh, rat. I would. Oh. I, I would. I would swim through a sea of snakes yeah. before I hung out with a single rat. Yeah. Ugh. There's the moment when they turn the coffin upside down and Elsa's under the water and the rats are like in her hair and you're hearing all yeah. that like no- rat noises. And those oh, are rats, oh. man. I don't, I, those I, are rats. They, if they are puppets, I'm very impressed. She's cool as shit. That's it. Like the actress, Allison Duty, mm-hmm. is cool. Allison Duty is cool as shit in that scene because I, I I'm positive those are real rats. Yeah. We would oh, know. Man. I have seen Princess Bride. I know what a fake rat looks like. <laughs> yeah. Um, and these are R-O-U-S's. R-O-U-S's. <laughs> yeah. no, those, sh- and, and she had those in her ear. She had them all around her. It was it, like so impressive. I also I want to point out one other moment with Elsa that really hit me this time round, which is later in the film when they go back into the into Berlin into the belly of the beast. He gets the book and they have that exchange, and he puts his hand on her throat and he's like, "All I have to do is squeeze," and she says, "All I have to do is scream." Oh, the yeah. way she says it, it pains her to say that to him. I know, like she doesn't want to threaten him with that, and yeah. it and she's like on the verge of tears. It, it's. That's she's really good. good in this movie. She's really good. Undermined by him meeting Hitler. That's the one yes. scene <laughs> yes, yeah. that really is the one bit that probably amused me as a kid. But I, on this rewatch, I was like, mm, nope. And I'm sure Spielberg, Spielberg has even said, I think he, he said as much, like, I don't know if he's, if he's pointed out that particular scene, but he did say, having made Schindler's List, that he could never make another movie with yeah. Bumbling Nazis again. I mean, it's having... it's a real 1941 moment when he's that, yeah. That's book. that's yeah. that's talking about the comedy and the calibrating the comedy. That's the one moment that I I concur. I I grant the critics. It's too much. <laughs> it does. It's bad. It's, it's a, a bad bridge yeah. too far. Um, it undermines a very, yeah. a very a very powerful scene. I mean, you know, having the book burning scene and kind of uh, acknowledging the weight of what they're up against. To then have a gag with with Hitler himself is, is <laughs> Brian. Do you, how old are your kids? Uh, my uh, daughter is is nine, and my sons are uh, seven and four. So we're in, we're in this a similar boat. Yeah. Uh, 
have you spoken to them about Nazis, World War II, that stuff? Yeah, I mean, in the broadest of terms. I mean, I, I haven't told them about the Holocaust so much yet. Um, although I have mentioned that, that Hitler and the Nazis discriminated against, you know, Jewish people, but I, I haven't gone so far as the mass extermination conversation just yet. But yeah, talked about World War II, talked about, uh, you know, who the Nazis were and, and, and the fact that this was a war, that the last kind of war where everybody participated. And yeah. There really was somebody trying to take over the world and, you know, yeah. I, and, I funnily asked... enough, that conversation came up more in Star Wars as a sort of... Uh, Interesting. Uh, oh, yeah. way of comparing the allegory the prequels. Name, yeah. well watching the prequels which I tell you what watching the prequels is a whole other conversation obviously but uh, Palpatine's machinations in the prequels are much more impressive watching it now than 20 years ago that's all I'll say yeah, I, I, well, I asked the, the okay. question about the, the Nazis and whatnot. I mean a couple of things about that that I, I want to bring up one is you know this did force me I, to to go a little further on Nazis than I ever had with my eight-year-olds, right? Okay, yeah. Um, you know who? I think they. I think they have a vague sense. I, they, they asked me who they were. I said they were the bad guys in World War II, and I think they, had, you know, they they understood that they were Germans, and we had to ask a lot of questions. And my mom was there, and they asked her if she was alive when the Nazis were a thing, and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And then you know, I told them they discriminated against Jews and gypsies and gay people and all that stuff, and and. Uh, and and that and that that's an interesting kind of entree conversation that this movie, which is ostensibly for kids and families, brings sure. on. The other yeah. thing is, I I think as a kid, because again, I saw this when I was seven or eight, and I had a, a, a you know somewhat vague sense of who the Nazis were. I mean, it was only you know forty forty five years ago at that point, which is crazy to think. You know, Soderbergh's movie, The Child of Chicago Seven, took place further back from today than this did from no, Sorkin's World movie. War yes, II. Yes, yes. Sor- yeah. movie, yeah. yeah. Sor- what did I say? Soderbergh. Soderbergh. Oh, sorry, Sor- Sorkin's movie. Uh, but yeah, Charles no, Scott I know. Said, yeah, that's you think 68. About that, you know, yeah, that's yeah. crazy. <laughs> the, you know, yeah. the yeah, the analog is like 75 right now. So sure. it, was, it was kind of recent history at the time. Okay. Yeah. The other thing is, it's kind of crazy to me that people, it's kind of crazy to me that people actually um used swastikas and Nazi imagery like that. I understand you have to, but in a movie where that isn't explicitly about the realities of what happened, it's crazy to throw up that many swastikas all over the place and this much Nazi imagery all over the place for garden variety villain because they don't do any... I think that's Spielberg kind of approaching it from that old Hollywood uh, sensibility oh, where, where, you know, the movies of the 40s and the 50s, and uh, I mean, they mined World War II. I mean, and, and they were. I mean, Superman they were, fought Nazis. I, yeah, yeah I, like I, the Nazis were. And I, and I think he has acknowledged as much that when he went deep the way he did on Schindler's List and really got into the core of the horror of it in a way that you know, intellectually anybody can, but uh, he speaks very powerfully. Have you, I, I assume you gentlemen have both watched that Spielberg documentary on HBO. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. extraordinary. I thought it, it was is just so fantastic. good. But when he talks about how he really went there and, and I can see how it's probably difficult after doing that to even go back and watch some of the stuff with the, 
you know, the clowny Nazi Nazis. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it definitely, it, it changed him for sure. I mean, yeah. it feels like the shooting of Schindler's List going to these, to these hallowed grounds and these yeah. horrible, you know, th- these horrible things it, that, that it transpired. Well, uh, there's an argument that it changed Hollywood, right? And it changed storytelling mm-hmm. in general. Like, it, it, yeah. It, I don't think you would do it to your point. You wouldn't use the Nazis that way, even if you weren't Spielberg. I just don't think you, you, would. you wouldn't. You, you just wouldn't. Um, and I do remember there was going to be a, a Indiana Jones 4 in the 90s, set in the 50s, and they were going to use the communists. Right. And they used the uh, Russians the, in Crystal the, Skull, too. Yeah. Yeah. They, they wind up actually ultimately using them in Crystal Skull. Um, and I do think that, that, you know, that that's a little less, you know, kind of yes. triggering. Sure. Yeah, but also, uh, to be crass, less effective. I mean, there is something as a storyteller, yeah. like, that's all you need to do. Show that swastika and you know yeah, the yeah. audience knows the stakes. I, I, would, I would tend to agree that as much as I love Kate Blanchett, I, I mean... Yeah. What is that? Who <laughs> are they fighting? It's, like, what is the? It's, it's what's a weird. Going on? It's a weird. Thing. It doesn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. But speaking of fighting, um, the the boat chase that happens outside of the after they get out of the Venice, uh, you know, fantastic. catacombs and what have you is fantastic. This God love. I mean, Indiana Jones loves a propeller. Um, there's just, <laughs> there's there's yeah. always a propeller in some way. I would also say too that it's a credit to Spielberg that he can create suspense from a boat and a propeller that's moving so slowly. Like you're still sort of like, this is still really powerful stuff. It's well done. But it's so simple. Uh, you're right. You're, you're, you watch it now and you're like, yeah, oh, you're this just like, is... what? but it's great. Uh, so they simple. go to Scotland to find uh, Henry. They find, they obviously find him. Um, Connery's delivery of Alexandretta is the fucking best. Yeah. Alexandretta, just... of course. <laughs> it's, the best um and him saying you wouldn't have done well there were rats it's just great stuff um yeah i mean basically then we get to the place where they get by they i mean indy and henry get uh captured by the nazis they're tied to chairs um and we find out that elsa had sex with both of them yeah not really sure what to think of that i mean again it could (laughs) it just it just stops it's just stops to at the edge of being nasty and gross because again, that's the panache of it all. And it's fucking Harrison Ford and Sean Connery. Yeah. I mean, good yeah. for her. <laughs> Touche. You know, I, I mean, do love, I do love the, this is how we say goodbye in Austria. Yeah. This is how we say goodbye in Germany. I like the Austrian way yeah. better. I mean, also, again, I, it's great writing. Well, and then I forget night- how wonderful it was. Oh, you're right. It was quite wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Ninety-nine point nine nine percent of the of movies have the Sean Connery character be the better lover. Well, that's that's what yes, that's what's great about it. That's what's so wild about this dynamic, and yet, like Harrison, like like Indy has everything on his dad, yeah, and yet it means nothing until the guy calls him Indiana. Yep. 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 Yeah, yeah, and before that, when he thinks he's lost him, and we're jumping ahead a bit, but that—that's such yeah. a wonderful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. it's so perfectly calibrated. All again, like to your point, Kenny, about teaching this thing in screenwriting classes, like just the just yeah. the where all the different turns in their relationship come. It's just and and no, just the no fact no that uh, you know the, the other thing that that needs to be said too is the fact that it finds not just humor and heart in every one of these action sequences, but it also finds a way to speak to. The actual characters themselves. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about the mo. I love Henry setting the room on fire and the chair. Oh, it's so like, good. It's just, it's just, it's the best. <laughs> it's 
And the I chair. just keep quoting the movie. It's the best. It's the best. Um, the motorcycle chase. I love how happy Henry is when he sees Indy jousting, but how unhappy he is when he uses the rest of the yes. wood to throw it into the into the motorcycle wheel. <laughs> and then Indy looks at him for approval, and he just sort of <laughs> doesn't get it. Like oh. this is the stuff. It's gold. It's gold yeah. because yeah. it's not even lines of dialogue. It's just it's just reactions to action. It's just, it's great. Um, and then the yeah. other, the other, when uh, after the, the, the whole Zeppelin thing and Henry using the umbrella to scare the birds. Oh, wonderful. Oh, and that look on Harrison's face where he feels like, I never really knew my dad. Like, I didn't know him. And yeah, it, there's so much in that little bit. It's like, I love, I, I recognize I love him. I recognize I didn't know a lot about him. Yeah. And I'm sad that it's taken this long. And he's conveying all of that. Anyone who says Harrison Ford's not a great actor is it's, 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 it's fuck off. Sure. Um, he, he's he's so he's it's, it, as I've said so many times. It's so fucking hard to be a protagonist. It's so hard to be the lead <laughs> in the movie. Like that, that's everything. And if you can engender sympathy, I'm sorry. Well, really empathy when you look the way he fucking looks. Yeah, man. It's yeah. in and this is incredible. So hard here. Yeah. Yeah, totally. you know, guys, it, I don't think, I, I think we, we've been talking about it a little bit here and there, but I, I don't think this movie works unless you get Sean Connery. Period, full stop. No. Because none of this stuff plays with, like, a Michael Caine, for instance. Um, <laughs> it's, he obviously can deliver that. all the lines, right? Like, Michael yeah. Caine would do a good job. But, yeah. but, but, but there is something about this. I know in the end of the day, like, in my bones, we're talking about James Bond here. You know? <laughs> Alexandra, think, of course. <laughs> yeah, I like, I mean there's so many, you know, there's so many guys, like like right. <laughs> so many British a- actors of this so many actors, because the guy didn't have to be British, frankly. Right? right. So so many actors probably, of this probably, generation, yeah. but but so few who come to it with a movie star persona. That yeah. you know can play all the slaps, that can play all the doddering, and play all the silliness, and deliver the dialogue, mm-hmm. while also and have that sage being quality. someone that That's, Indy looks yeah. up to, yeah. that professorial yeah, the, quality, the, the, the yeah. intellect, yeah. yeah. But also being, I mean, because like you know, I mean, who are you going to put in there if you put Clint Eastwood in? He's not, he's not going to do anything. <laughs> I said, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's just going to be the tough guy, Alexander. right? So. <laughs> Uh, Phil, do you know, were there any other actors considered or was it always... Um, You know, it's funny you should say that because there were, and I was just, for whatever stupid reason, I didn't actually pull that um, that piece. Like Connery was always top of the list in there. It was always Connery, but I do think that they had, um, they had a couple other people that they were considering. Uh, Hold on just Just one moment. Because I I, I agree. I, I mean, it's impossible to think of... Anyone else in the it, role? It, it's really hard to you think know. of. You, you have to think of someone who, at some period of time, was uh, one of the three or four biggest movie stars in the world with the leading man persona, who also is capable of doing uh, witty comedy. Yeah, I don't even know it, where you start. It seems pretty impossible, and I can't really imagine. I mean, obviously, we can't really imagine anybody else in it because of of him. But um, bear with me just one second while I figure out who it was, because they did have a couple other people that they were thinking about, right. um, but they were, for whatever reason, um, either 
unavailable or he didn't ultimately end up going with them, whatever. I'm not, I, it doesn't matter. Let's, we'll well, it, doesn't matter. But, um, it doesn't matter. But um, I do want to say, want to highlight one other thing, which does speak to Connery's abilities. And it's the moment you talked about a second ago, Brian, which is um, when Indy goes over on the tank and he thinks that he's <laughs> lost him. And he crawls back up and Sean Connery taking Harrison Ford in his arms and saying, I thought I lost you, boy. Yeah. And then, and then Indy saying, I thought you did too, sir. Like, yeah. he even says, sir. There's something yeah. about the fact that, like, but and it is. Burying his a, face in his shoulder, like a, like a so little. It's so good. Thing. And it's brief. Wait. And then after it, it's just like Connery <laughs> stiffens back up again. He's like, okay. And, and it's, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's just, I agree 150% with what you guys are saying, which is that this movie doesn't work with anybody else in this role. Um, and it's, it's, he's juggling so many things in it. And I also have to say too, like, I wonder if, I mean, listen, there are no shortage of, of stories about Connery not being the best guy in the world, not being the easiest actor to deal with. Mm. There's a lot of sort of stories about him. Um, but this is also not a, I don't want to say glamorous role, but this is really he's playing an older gentleman. He's oh yeah. This very is bald. Probably a big he's very deal. kind of like, yeah. yeah that he plays yeah. this role and that he owns his age, um, I think is kind of amazing. Absolutely. Uh, let, me read off the, really, let me read yeah. off the other, uh, the, the best oh, supporting actors. Them? No, I'm okay. going to give you the, the I'm going to give you the Oh, best supporting actor of 89. The okay. people yeah, yeah. that were nominated over him. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, now Go this would have been a back-to-back nomination, obviously he had won the previous year. So I do wonder if there's no untouchables, if maybe he would have gotten his, you know, lifetime. Well, he'd won in eighty. He won for the year nineteen eighty-seven. So there it was eighty-seven. Yeah. You're right about that. So yeah. it's two years ago. You're right about but, that. But yeah, but so, yes, that was considered his career Oscar, and you could retire now. Yes, exactly. So uh, Denzel Washington won for Glory, deservedly. Danny Aiello sure. was nominated for Do the Right Thing. Mm. Martin Landau was nominated for Crimes and Misdemeanors. Oh, I, yes, I think those are three strong nominations. Yes. The other two, uh, Marlon Brando was movie was nominated for a movie called A Dry White Season. Oh, that's bullshit. And Dan Aykroyd was nominated for Driving Miss Daisy. <laughs> okay. Well, that's, so, that's the real. Well, there you go. Now. Uh, now, I don't think I, I. I always kind of liked Dan Aykroyd getting nominated that nominated for that from a weird historical asterisk kind of place because very few SNL actors have ever been nominated for Oscars. I think sure. it's, it's him and Robert Downey Jr. Oh, I, th- I do. Yeah, I Bill think Murray. that might, you know, uh, but, yeah. not at, not ever a cast member. What do you mean Bill Murray wasn't a cast member? Of course he was. <laughs> what am I What's saying? Steve, Mar- Steve Martin was never a cast member. Steve Martin. <laughs> you're right. You're right. All right. But, so Bill Murray yes. also was nominated. Yes. Uh, but um, so I, I think that's kind of funny, and I also think I, I understand that Dan Aykroyd like lobbied very hard to get that role, and I think that's kind of cute too. But yes, <laughs> that of the movies I've seen, please, I've seen four of those. Dan Aykroyd should not be nominated. No, uh, have you? Has anyone ever heard of a dry white? No, season? I've seen a dry white season. I, I, I Brando's it. it's, it's a small part. It's one of those Brando you know worked for a week and got top billing, and he's in it, so they nominated him for an Oscar. It's it's absurd. No, Connery yeah. should have been nominated. It's it's crazy. Uh, it should Connery absolutely should have been nominated. I, I also um, so when we're on the Zeppelin, there's two things I wanted to mention. The first is I love that they tee up the three tasks 
that Indy's going to have to do when he gets there. It's just, Mm -hmm. again, great screenwriting, laying Mm -hmm. the piping. They don't know what it is, but there's going to be three of them. And these things that we've just read you are going to play as important. And it's the Um, tag of a beautiful emotional scene. Yes. Yes. It's perfect. It's it's really, and then, yeah, it's great. And then he notices that the, the shadows that they're turning them around, they're taking them back. They're taking us back to Germany. (laughs) So Ford, that's right up there with, you know, you switch the samples. (laughs) <laughs> Devlin McGregor could give you Provasic Amazing um, The other thing that I learned that I love Is that apparently it was super hot On the Zeppelin set And that both oh. of them were pantsless Because they Excellent. didn't Because it was, it was so hot Yeah they had to they light it for day So you got those big shafts of, of uh, light Oh it's fantastic just, I think it's great I love it uh, That scene um, is, is beautiful It's a, that's it's a beautiful. beautiful piece of writing There's, it's, it's you know I, I just I love that scene I love that I scene. also just want to uh, Agree with Kenny On the On the fact that This movie sort of Doubles down On the final Sort of action set piece If you will Is the tank And the horses And yeah. It really goes all out Again All fucking practical You've got people Fighting on a moving tank with mm-hmm. horses and all this shit, and it looks unbelievable. It still looks unbelievable. Today. It looks great. It, looks I, 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 it's cra- it holds up better than sequences shot ten years ago and using a bunch of fucking bad CG. It looks it amazing. It's the best sequence like this until Fury Road. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Which was pre- sure. which was largely yeah, yeah largely practical. But yeah, then totally. also like totally. just just think about like all the the Zeppelin stuff looks great too, right? That beautiful yeah. match shot of the people oh, walking the up to the Zeppelin. It's the yeah. best. All How the flying awesome stuff looks Zeppelins. great. I mean, it's, oh, it's the best. It's, it's so best. funny. My, yeah. my Why kid, aren't there more Zeppelins? You know, my that'd be so fun. My kids were were, were watching the um, well, watched the movie with me, and and the flying stuff. They go, yes. huh? Green screen, but it looks really good. <laughs> wow, your kids are your they, kids well, are sharp. They're, they're total sharp. nerds, yeah. but they're the best. Uh, but yeah, they're look, 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 this was made in 1989. Yeah, hmm. Looks great. Looks great. Well, I believe it did win. Uh, yeah. I believe it did win the Oscar for vis- for visual effects. It, it won. Won, it it won sound. Oscar. It won sound effects editing. Oh, um, sound effects editing. It didn't win visual effects. That won, what won visual effects. The abyss, oh, the abyss, which we'll, which we'll uh, be doing. Well, that makes abyss, sense. I get that. I get that. That makes sense. Um, I love. Uh, so they go back. They go into the, obviously the canyon of the crystal uh, of the crescent moon. Crescent My moon. apologies, not crystal. Uh, they get captured again by the Nazis, but whatever. Uh, and then Indy says, uh, "I'm like a bad penny. I always turn up." It's just great, great mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, Henry gets shot, which is a. An, the perfect Incredible. like so emotional good. twist, right? And that which shot, is that, like the shot is so beautifully framed. It could, you, even though I know it's coming, I still am shot. shocked by the way yeah. Julian kind of just move, shifts his yep. body. Just a, it's yep. Mwah! And the fact that they stay in that shot and they they tilt up and you <sighs> see Henry like clutching his stomach. Pulling over, like it's. This is the thing that I just rewatched ET for this AFI movie club that I have with mm. with, with friends every Saturday, and the movie's obviously perfect. But yes. what's amazing about that film is how little dialogue there is in that movie, and how much of it is told visually. And when you watch, it, oh, when you that watch that might be Spielberg's funniest movie, by the way. 
Yeah, in terms of humor, yeah, that is a funny fucking. It's a very funny, funny movie. Um, But but the 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 ability that Spielberg has to tell a story visually, the emotions that he can get out of it, he could have been a a brilliant silent filmmaker. Is kind of my point, which is that all in one shot, he understands just the the mechanics of blocking and photography in a way that very few filmmakers do. Obviously, yeah. Um, Then we have the traps. He has to roll through the blades of the first one. pass. Two men will pass. Uh, then we have the second one, which is the word of God. And he steps on the J. And you have that beautiful match shot of him deep in the foreground. Uh, mm. oh, dangling so from good. The, it's beautiful. the best. As a kid, I loved that so much. And just the little things with the, you know, the, the I don't even know what you'd call them. The, the, the almost like pedestals going up. Yeah. So you understand yep, yep. the mechanics of this, yep. of this, this, this world. It's, 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 it's not just magic. Like there's this idea, I think there's this idea that that when you go in there, there's magic involved, right? Yeah, everyone no, gets they're, their just, head, they're just clever booby traps. Just clever booby traps. <laughs> well, everyone gets their head chopped off right in the beginning, yep, and you're yeah. you're meant to kind of believe there's some kind of ghost, right? Mm-hmm. But no, it's they're just clever booby what? traps that, that could be that could be overcome by a clever uh, a, a clever the only, the only overt magic is the is the wrath of God when he drinks the thing and the, the and of course the idea the fact that the knight has been alive all this time sure for, and yeah, but, other than that, little... but you're right it's the 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 those traps themselves are these practical traps and what's so wonderful about that scene in terms of again it's not just a guy getting through booby traps he is obviously he's trying to he wants to save his father but he is drawing upon a childhood um, being raised in, in a faith that he has forgotten about and has not thought about. And he's having to draw up his father's teachings and, and, a, and a faith in some kind of, of God that he has long, you know, uh, buried. To mm-hmm. to to bring it all full circle. It's beautiful. It's 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 it's, it's, it's it really is satisfying. I, I agree with everything you're saying, and I would also say that it's a surprisingly kind of agnostic movie. They don't really yeah. talk about Jesus that much. No. They don't really talk about Christianity that much. They're really just more interested in the the power of this cup, right? Yeah. Like this 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 thing that they're chasing, and how that fuels his father, as opposed to the idea of religion per se. It's really well, about faith. It is yeah. Jesus's cup. It is his sippy cup. I, I, yeah. I can't, I can't, I, I, I can't divorce that from it because no, it could have been any. It could have been the garden of, of you know, ever, ever life giving peaches, which is what they were thinking right. at some point, right? <laughs> it's true, so, it's true. But, but, it, it, but it never, it never makes him like accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior in order correct. to do correct. It. It, it, I, I think to no, but I, I, I would say yeah. that's true. But I would say if you, if this were real. Mm-hmm. And you didn't then accept Jesus as, as your Lord and Savior. <laughs> you would kind of, you would kind of be denying reality at that point. Yeah, it's true. So, you should be like, well, true. I, I guess agree it's true. with that. I, yeah, yeah, he was yeah, the Son of God because that night, that night's been so, alive for. <laughs> I, and he, it, it's very clear to me in this movie. Sorry. Right, right. So I, 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 I do think that that. The, your point is a is a far more global point than the one I'm making. The one I'm making is I do find it. Somewhat interesting that a Jew, Steven Spielberg, yeah, yeah, yeah. found something universal in something that I think is overtly Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it is over. It is, it is. It is universal. I've never. You know, I never have been. I've never felt alienated by the plot of this movie. 
if that mm-hmm. makes sense. And it's pl- I'm alienated by passion of the Christ, right? So like it's right. possible to alienate me by you know alienate me uh, when you make a movie that's overtly Christian or Catholic. Um, and it right. speaks to something that, that, that doesn't resonate with me whatsoever. But the fact that this is – it's interesting because the Christ story is so resonant in culture that if it wasn't Jesus' cup, it wouldn't work as well. It couldn't work as well. Well, yeah, and, that's true. If yeah, you just say yeah. it's the magic cup of Ubanga, yeah. you're just yeah, – yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the Holy Grail – I mean – to your point, it's interesting because I, as I was watching this, I was thinking about how it kind of deals with religion. I think it really kind of comes down to just even the title, right? Like the title is The Last Crusade, which sure. is more about knights. It's more about... It's really more about the they Arthur want to, legend. That he yeah, they want to couch the more... Exactly. Yeah. They want to couch all that stuff, but they love the MacGuffin of the Holy Grail. So they're mm-hmm. kind of inserting uh, It's hard for me to it. divorce the word crusade from crusades, right? So like crusades no, is also... That's also... And there is, there is certainly... Overt, o- overt overtures towards the, the Arthurian legend, but crusades are about conversion, yeah. right? I, yeah. Ultimately, we're talking about conversion, so that's that's interesting to me too. In that, it I think this is kind of an overtly Christian movie without being preachy about the the, the Christianity the Catholicism. I agree. Oh, yeah, well, agree. the Christianity part, yeah. right? Like. Yeah. It, there is there's a way to to enjoy this and to kind of overlay it onto your own life and your own faith and your own your own belief system um, that is universal and I, I, I absolutely love that about well this. I think that's the difference I think I think it is a movie about Christian characters and specifically Henry who's a Christian character as opposed to a Christian movie if that makes sense mm-hmm. I, mean, I, mean, I, I I I do and I would also say too that I don't think that. <laughs> The, we might be splitting hairs here, but but Henry's obsession with the Holy Grail, I'm not even sure. It's from, ar- it's from archaeology. It's an archaeological yes, no. obsession. Correct. It's Correct. not like the kind of obsession, you know. Correct. The Vatican. Uh, although, although that said, I think he he doesn't. I mean, I'm I'm sort of now going back a little bit more to <laughs> Kenny's point in that in the end, he says, you know, like what did you find, Dad? Illumination. Like he's coming back mm-hmm. around to. Mm-hmm. Again, not so much that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but that there are forces bigger than all of bigger us than him. guiding us. Yeah. And the prize isn't important. Mm-hmm. I've I've felt the presence of this thing. Something whether bigger. it's God, yeah. whether it's Jesus. Mm-hmm. I have felt it today when it when it got you through those tasks so you could come back and save me. And I saw that and I looked into that knight's eyes. Okay. And I, I, like that I, moment I, where he sees the knight, that's the prize. So as we're at, you know, I, I do think there's another version of this, a worse version, where, but but I'm oh, yeah. sure it, I'm sure it was pitched, where Henry stays. Yeah. Um, oh God. And, and, and Henry becomes well. There, well, I but see you're right, it though. You're probably right. I, yeah. I, I, I I see it. I can believe it. I can believe that 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 someone you know the knight does kind of explicitly say you're here to replace me. Yeah, I yeah. felt bad for the night. He's like, oh, I, yeah. I <laughs> like, love seriously? that guy so much. That motherfucker can't lift up his own sword. <laughs> and then when he waves at the end, oh, he's yeah. like, he's he's my favorite one scene character in movie history. He's terrific, the actor. Um, I know who I, was supposed to play him, Kenny. Christopher Lee. No, oh, Lawrence cool. Olivier, who was going oh. to play it, 
And then he got very ill and unfortunately he was unable passed to do away. it. He passed, you know away. What? he passed away he, shortly he, after this film. You know, it's I'm, interesting because... I'm glad it wasn't Olivier. I'm glad it was just a, a day player oh, kind yeah. of guy. Lawrence Olivier I agree. I agree. was uh, what was allegedly kind of the, the, the first draft um, Henry Jones is going to be like Lawrence Olivier. Mm. Right? That was, I think, the idea in the beginning. Which, by the way... You know, that does work perfectly. Laurence Olivier is one of the other people in, in film history who could have, like, played this role at the right yeah. time in his career. Actually, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so yeah. the, my, my final, you know, we're at the end of this movie. Yeah. And we're going through it yet again. We're going through it again. And, uh, and, and my, my overwhelming feeling about this movie is it didn't have to be anywhere near this good to be oh, a sure. successful movie. The, sure. the level it rose to with all we're talking about, with the maturity yeah. of this character and the growth and building in his childhood and finding catharsis and finding closure, the, you you could have, and they did with the fourth movie, you could have assembly, assembly lined an Indiana Jones movie out. And it would have made $250 million and everybody would have been happy. But instead, they went so many miles beyond that and made this this classic perfect film when they didn't have to. That's so crazy to me. And I understand what you're saying, Phil, in terms of like Spielberg needed a win. But I think Spielberg needed a double, right? Like Spielberg needed just sure. – he, sure. he didn't need a home run. He just needed He just needed to get back on track. <laughs> Mm. And 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 there there are a lot of things here that are risky in my opinion. It's risky to humanize Indy this way. It's risky to make him vulnerable. It's risky to make it such an emotional movie. It's risky to put in so much overt Christianity in the movie. Yeah. Like I, I I think that I I think this is a much bigger swing than people give it credit for. I always have. I mean, I always appreciate it, but I think it, it, it wasn't appreciated in its time. I'd be, I, of course, it was a hit. It was went. not. It was not appreciated in its time. But, you know, you look at the reviews of it. I mean, Ebert gave it a good review, but I was looking at thumbing through my letter, Malton, yep. you yep. know, two and a half star review. And it's like, oh, buy the numbers sequel. Yeah. And it's like, what did you know? Yeah. It's, oh. it's, I, think, I think it's interesting because, no. you know, obviously, Kenny, we're going to talk about a lot of sequels over the course of this, uh, of this Patreon. Um, and, and I think we're going to talk about some that succeeded and some that didn't. Um, and I think that this was surprisingly, I don't want to say rejected, but critics really looked down their nose at it. They felt like it was yeah. a cash grab. They felt like it wasn't necessary. Like, why did we do this? Um, I think that, you know, it's grown in its esteem, I think partially because of how much people dislike Crystal Skulls, but I also think because of how cleanly it wrapped up the series. I mean, I watched the end mm. of this movie where they ride oh. off into the sunset. Perfect. It's over. It's beautiful. There's yeah. no fucking reason Perfect. to open it up again. And I, I, I posit this to you guys because I'm curious as to... I mean, is it just money? I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't mean to be, like, crass about it, but, like, there's nothing begging a fourth movie here. And, I don't and, know if it was and money. I think the way they, they, did they probably it. just thought it would be fun. I don't know. I mean, I, they probably thought it would be fun. They probably enjoyed making the movies. And, and you know, from what I've read about Crystal Skull, it, it went through so – not unlike Last Crusade, but even to a greater degree – 
Mm-hmm. They tried to make a fourth one a lot sooner than Crystal Skull, they and they just they no one was yeah, ever. They, they had for a long time. Yeah, yeah, Lucas was never satisfied with one that Spielberg liked, and Spielberg liked one that, that Harrison Ford didn't like, and they the three of them could just never agree. And by the time they get it, it's however many years later, twenty years later. Um, so I don't. I, none of them needed the money. I don't think. I think they they probably just thought it would be fun. And I've only. I mean, seen my Crystal guess is that once. Paramount wanted one. I, I, I'm oh, pretty sure. sure that that's. I'm sure that that's. Have one has to sign on. I, I don't think. I don't think. I don't think Spielberg, frankly, has ever made a movie that he didn't think was going to be a great movie. I just I don't think. I just I don't think he spends his time. The only. The only one, maybe, and I. I think there's been some revisionist history on this as well. Is Lost World, which is kind of a it kind of is a weird uh mm-hmm. it, it kind of seemed like a weird i have to do this contractually because he was already in the middle of his dreamworks deal and it was it was no longer the kind of thing he was doing but i right. think he felt like he had to outside of that i think I, every movie like he's ever <laughs> i think a lot of people do now i then i yeah. and i and and i think that i again I actually, you see what you see what comes later and you're just like yeah don't appreciate yeah. what you have with this thing. yeah and i yeah that's right and i i, I mean, and i but I do think that every movie Spielberg has ever made, Ready Player One, the BFG, whatever it is, I think he's always thought this is a this has the bones, the makings of a great movie, and I assume that's the case with Kingdom of. Uh, I, I, so I, that's I, why I enjoy him in general. I, I just he's he's he's. I, I really feel this like he's a kid in a candy store and he's doing his next thing with every even movies that are less successful. He's um, he's a he's a kid in a candy store who occasionally yeah, makes movies yeah. like Saving Private Ryan or Munich or War of the Worlds or or Minority Report or AI. Looking at his no, the filmography, at his filmography is astonishing. I mean, it's it's astonishing. Looking at his his filmography in in the run up to this podcast, my takeaway was if we only had Steven Spielberg movies. We would have thought that was all you ever needed. <laughs> We'd still be good. Yeah. No. Actually, yeah, dude, yeah. Uh, I'm with you. It's like, it, and, and I'm not, and I'm not. I've we never can give that filmography to, be, to the aliens and be like, here are movies. That was always my thing. It was, you know, yeah. the aliens come and make the, you know, say you're gonna make. We we need you to make one movie that you know saves humanity and shows us why we should, you know, we we should spare this world. And you get it. It's obviously Spielberg. It's not even a question. The question became, who is it if it's not Spielberg? Because it's so obvious. But I, yeah. I think yeah. that I, I, I never consider myself to be the biggest Spielberg fan. Phil, I mean, he's your favorite filmmaker, right? Like he's definitely up there. He's certainly one of mine. Yeah, he may not be. Me, he may not, not be my favorite. favorite. He is so clearly the best. Like I like, he's just, <laughs> yeah. he is so clearly the best at this thing. Well, I think that there's, you know, I don't know that there's a better storyteller. Like he just loves telling you a great story. And I think that insofar that, you know, there's an argument to be made of like the last third of his career thus far, he doesn't know how to end his stories all that well because he wants to just keep telling you stuff and it just kind of <laughs> keeps going. Maybe 20 minutes past it should, but he's just so good at telling you a story. I mean, not to, not to talk about ETA again, but just very briefly, just to say like watching that film I'm just like his hooks are so deep in you. I mean, I literally have this guy sitting sitting right here. Oh, I just I, I'm I, I he's just he understands his audience better than any other filmmaker. He just understands what we want, what ride we want to go on for each individual film. It's just it's really just 
it's magnificent. It really, really is. And we are, we are so lucky to have his output. And God willing, he gives us a bunch more films before he leaves this mortal coil. But is I he, just, does I he not have a 99 film? He doesn't, does he? He doesn't. It's, wow. 98 for, it's 98 for sure. uh, Saving Private Ryan and 2001 for AI. So there's really... Right. Nothing, so... Wow. So should, should we talk? I want to talk because I, I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't mention uh, John Williams quickly. Please. Because um, I think this score, uh, I showed you all my little, my vinyl thing. I think it's one of his best scores, actually, of all his scores. I, it's, I think it's the best indie score. Um, you know, Raiders is amazing, but you know, he's going nuts with the various motifs in this one. You know, he's got a theme for dad. He's got a theme for the grail. He's got a little trill for the cross of Coronado, which is gone after the first <laughs> minute. That entire um, uh, scherzo for motorcycles uh, uh, piece that plays over the motorcycle chase. Um, absolutely extraordinary. And, uh, and the reason I bring it up is I, we, I, we went and saw John Williams conduct at the Hollywood Bowl a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Did you guys see that concert? I saw, I saw one of those. So did you see the one where, so Spielberg came out on the last one that we saw. So Spielberg comes out Spielberg. And, 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 and says, look, I, I want to show you just how integral this man is to the success of my films. I'm going to show you a sequence from one of my movies without the score. And then we will watch it again with the Hollywood Bowl Orchestra conducting the piece. And it was the prologue of this movie that he chose. Oh, really? He chose... Which, I, which surprised me uh, of all the sequences in all of his films, yeah. which, again, showed me he clearly is fond of this movie and Williams is clearly fond of this score. And then, sure enough, they showed us that sequence. And yeah, it's rough. It's rough without the music, I tell you. Uh, those bits of comedy, they don't land okay. the way they <laughs> land yeah. if you don't have those musical... And it's just phenomenal. And so, uh, but I just, I love this, this score so much. It's so rich. And I mean, all of, I mean, obviously John Williams is yeah. the greatest of all time. But, uh, but again, at, to your point, Phil, third movie, easy to just recycle the themes. Nope. I, you know, nope. I want to just Williams. say one quick thing about, about, first of all, yes, to everything you're saying, John Williams. I, I, I noticed the score as well this time around. Uh, he's just going full tilt and it's it's phenomenal um i remember back when when we were doing uh the pilot of sleepy hollow and they showed us a cut a cut of the film or over the pilot and mm-hmm. i was like this is good this is great whatever then i watched it with score and you don't know how to yeah. feel about anything as a viewer until the score comes in and tells you how to feel about moments oh, yeah. when they're funny when they're sad when they're scary it's just it, it is it is dna to mm-hmm. a scene, uh, and as much as it pains us as writers to say, you know, our words should be ever. It's it's just no, not. No, like, you need the score. <laughs> it's it's you need the fucking score. It's yeah, a no good thrones. Thing. Thrones lived yeah. and died with Ramin's score in many. But uh, it's scenes. it's a good thing. It really is a good thing that that we've become we that that we've started to or not started that we've always been unable to divorce sound from picture. And that these two yeah. things work in concert so well together. Um, the more immersive an experience that we get, the more I am engaged with the, with the medium. Yeah. So I, I actually, I, I, I think movies that skimp on score or skimp on soundtrack or reuse themes or reuse scores um, are, 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 are 
short shrifting their viewers. Well, and it tends to happen a lot these days. A lot of these, a lot of times in these big blockbusters, I'm going to sound like an old man in, in, in movies these days, but truly <laughs> a lot of the time you get this sort of derivative kind of percussive tinny computer sounding scores that aren't that, that are just there to sort of propel. Yeah. You know, and they don't take the time to really, you know, every movie's different. It has different, you know, uh, different soundscape and, and requirements. Obviously, I mean, a full orchestral score that Williams, kind of, the kind of thing he does, doesn't fit every movie. But um, I think, you know, you watch some of those movies scored by Jerry Goldsmith. Like, you watch Planet of the mm-hmm. Apes. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that score. Or Chinatown. Or Chinatown. Or, these are, or yeah. you know, the, the, like, these are, these are, pieces of art in and of themselves that are, oh that my are you God. know, which now, now a lot of times they just feel like they're there to kind of just prop the movie up. And that's, and yeah. while this certain movie, certain, the score certainly does prop this movie up. It, 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 it doesn't in a way that's, it's, 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 it's in tandem well, work with the movie. in concert. But, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I mean, I feel, feel, I feel, I don't feel listens to a lot of scores independent of the movies. I started yeah, I do to do that as well. Yeah. Uh, particularly, like the one, the, the ones I'm really loving are the new, are the the ones in the Barry Jenkins movies, Nicholas Bertel. Oh, Wars. he's great. He's yes. a fucking genius. And when you, yeah. oh, the Moonlight score I, is a it's fucking Moonlight amazing. score is brilliant, as is yeah. the Beale Street score. Yeah. And you don't necessarily, you know, feel that when you're watching the movie. But but when you when, once you separate it from the movie, you do realize how important this was. To ca- uh, carrying you through these various scenes in in these characters' lives, um, yeah. and, and it does kind of irk me both as a creative person and as a, a you know a consumer of this stuff when they when they short shrift on the sound. It's yeah. so important. Yeah, yeah. Um, I agree. Um, so we're we're still doing the rating thing with this, Brian. Out of so ninety nine. Out of ninety nine. We have we have letterboxed. Accounts. So, you can, so, so, yeah, so we want. We so want to be very important. That it's not at eighty nine. It's at a ninety nine. Um, I'll go first. In eighty nine, I mean, this movie was a ninety nine for me. In eighty nine, I mean, I watched this movie continuously. I adored it. I obviously still adore it. Um, I was not, you know, I was I was ten years old, so I wasn't as, uh, you know, wasn't paying as much attention to other things. Um, obviously, we watched it today. I mean it's like a 97 or a 98 for me. Like it's, it's, we'd be splitting hairs as we did a little bit up top as to like why maybe I'd say Raiders is a little bit better than it, but like, who the fuck knows? I'm sure it'll change over time, but I love the movie. I really think it's pretty much flawless. I mean, take out your Hitler cameo and yeah, probably gets you to a 98 as far as I'm concerned. Um, And, you know, I think we all love this movie. So the rating of this is a little bit whatever, but we're doing it, so Brian, what'd you think? I mean, <laughs> 99, 99, 99, you know, I mean, sure, even, sure. even the Hitler bit or my, uh, <laughs> my, my disappointment with the trajectory of the character of Sala is not going to knock a point sure, sure. off of this film. Uh, this is, you know, this is a, this is a warm blanket. This is, yeah. uh, this is Christmas morning. This, you know, this, this, <laughs> this movie is perfection. 99, best movie of 1989. So good, Kenny. You, you guys are such easy marks. Uh, in in eighty in in eighty nine, I, I would have given this movie a ninety nine. I loved everything about it. Um, I I mean, before the podcast, I, I not to be a total fucking dick. 
I had it at a 96. Uh, <laughs> like, I, 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 Appalling. Appalling. I don't know. I don't know exactly why I felt like ultimately I, I want to keep it a step below, but I, I guess the, I guess the five movies I named and maybe a couple others from this year have such live in such a rarefied airspace in my like mental hierarchy of films that a movie like this that I wouldn't necessarily rattle off to you as one of my favorite movies ever f- there must be something just a little deficient in my head what are the five about again that you that you chose Feel the dreams League. do the right thing mm-hmm. major mm-hmm. league say anything little mermaid I, I, there's All just something movies. about those films that have been like in my in my heart DNA, and even more so like in my writing DNA. Right, I bring them up a lot. I'm always thinking of them. They're mm-hmm. all, like, like like I'm always I'm, I'm always quoting them or referencing them in rooms. And there are more from '89 that 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 fall into that category. Whereas I wouldn't say that that with the exception of the ending, I think the last thirty minutes of this movie. Are, inc- are just an incredible piece of work. But I don't think this movie is quite as, as, as readily available in my mental film vocabulary as the others. That's why I'm giving it a 97, not quite a 98 or a 99. I mean, I, I do want to quote your text to me that said, Last Crusade is 100%. I did. I gave it a hundred. Yeah, you're just, you're just, you're no, just I mean, fucking with everybody. It's a ninety-nine. I, it's so funny because they, the blank blank check is doing uh, Back to the Future. Or they're doing they Zemeckis are. movies, so they did okay. Back to the Future and Who Framed Roger Rabbit back to back. And I don't necessarily, I don't generally watch the movies they do as they're doing them. But the mm. conversations about those two movies compelled me to go back and, and watch them. Uh, and I've seen both of them. You I know, just rewatched Roger Rabbit. I just saw Roger Rabbit to the kids, actually. Oh, Roger Rabbit. It's perfect. the best fucking, fucking movie amazing. ever made. <laughs> what a, what a great think, a few think, years that was there. Oh, my God. Oh, I it's think, a great time to be 11, 10, you know. <laughs> and I'm feeling old. that about Last Crusade a little bit right, right now, too. Like, I'm feeling like Back to the Future and and whoever Roger Rabbit, last crusade something about these movies the 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 sheer perfection of them without being perfect does that make sense like there's so much about those yeah, movies totally. you could nitpick but the the, yeah. the 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 thousand you know as you said Brian the thousand foot view of them is a perfect fucking oh, landscape yeah, that's the thing. it's like everything just works so well in final analysis i absolutely love this movie it is 100 but it's only 97. <laughs> um, I, I mean, listen, it's an A plus. It's an A plus. What can you it's, say? It's a, we yeah, all agree yeah, that it's a tremendous here, yeah. movie. It's, it's, it, it, is. it really it's is. Well, that's cool. That's cool. Movie. This is the first Spielberg discussion you've had. That's, that's exciting. Because I, I, I hadn't yeah. I'd forgotten that he didn't have a 99 film. So that's cool. I, Do you, I know we didn't I, ask you beforehand, Brian, but you guys want to hmm. try to rattle off your top five Spielbergs? I mean, we're so late into the Patreon podcast. We can do whatever the fuck we want. Might as well. Yeah, I, I, could I could probably do, do that. it. I could do it I'd, off the top of my head. Uh, you guys go ahead. I'll, I'll, I'll work on mine as you guys do yours. I mean, I think, I mean, E.T.'s number one. With a bullet. I mean, it's probably my second favorite film of all time. If I had to pick one, um, I'm just doing this off the dome. You often do Ra- have to pick a second, so go ahead. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say ET number one. I'm gonna say Raiders at number two. Um, you know, 
Schindler's List was a very important film for me as a kid. My grandparents were Holocaust survivors. I went to see it with them. Mm. It was the first time that I left a movie theater and felt the power of cinema in in the way that it could, you know, change people's minds. Um, so I put yeah. that probably at number three. Um, I really love Catch Me If You Can. That might be number four for me. Again, I'm just kind of, this is just me sort of right now in the moment. Um, and, and then at number five, it's it's tough. I, I'm sort of trying to, it might be Saving Private Ryan, which I think is a tremendous, actually, you know what? Fuck that, no. Number five is Jurassic Park. Good for you. Jurassic Park is just, I'm 13. It just cracks my head open. It changes everything for me. Like that that year for him, 93 of Jurassic Park and Chandler's List, those are my five, I think. That's where I'm, I'm going to, that's what I'm saying. What about you, Brian? Uh, Last Crusade. Um, number one. Number one. Uh, I love it. I love that, it. That's, I love it. <laughs> Dirt your souls. You know it to be true. Uh, Last Crusade, uh, Jaws, um, uh, E.T. Um, uh, Munich. And, Interesting. Uh, Jurassic Park, probably. I also right. really encounters. Actually, I'd say it's a tie between. Just, I'll, I'll go with Jurassic Park because I probably have rewatched that more, but uh, but I sure love. Uh, I sure just, love. Just 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 to so so the viewing audience knows I didn't crib. I didn't I didn't uh, crib Brian style. I had Munich on mine as well. Interesting. Munich is his most underrated, unappreciated. Yeah, it's awesome. Wow. Wow. At Last Crusade, Saving Private Ryan, Jaws, and. Munich. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting, guys. I mean, I, I like Munich a lot. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I think that later Spielberg gets a gets a bum rep. I think that because the early stuff is just so fucking good, I think that Minority Report is fucking great. Oh, yeah, that I was think close that, to mine, too. I, it's great. I, I think as was Catch Me If You Can, as was AI. Yeah, I, uh, and, I, and I, think Lincoln, I, also, I fucking love Lincoln. I think yeah. Lincoln is... Lincoln's great. Not, AI is, I think, the, yeah. way underrated. masterpiece. Uh, the problem with late-term Spielberg is that it's hard to believe he's this fucking good at making grown-up movies. Still this good, I agree. After he was this fucking good at making kids' movies. Yep. Like, his yeah. grown-up movies were despised as a great movie. His gro- The Post is a great movie. His grown-up movies are so fucking great. Yep. But, like, it is hard. Like, he's not the best grown-up movie movie director ever. And he is the best kind of, like, teen, like, like teen kid adventure family director mm-hmm. ever. So it, there is this weird disconnect that the guy who brought you Indiana Jones and E.T. And, and, and Jaws is now the guy bringing you fucking Schindler's List in Munich and yeah. AI and, and The Post and Bridge of Spies. He's, he's yeah. linking oh, these very serious yeah. movies. But I, by the way, I like Ready Player One. Like, I, I think, That's like, the only I think one it, I've never seen. That's actually the only Spielberg movie never I've, seen I've, it? I've missed. You I, should I, watch I, it. I meant to. I, I, I just, for some reason... You should watch yeah, it. I think you'd like I'm, it. You've yeah, seen BFG? Uh, I have seen BFG. Yeah, that, I think that's a bad movie. That's a bad movie. Yeah, I'm not crazy that's the only movie. one I think is, and I think Crystal Skull is terrible. But I think everything else I've seen. I don't like the Terminal either, for the record. But that's yeah, I think it's I think it's weird and bad, I don't like but it. interesting. I don't like it. But interesting. I think that, like, have you listened I, to uh, the the podcast the Chris the like uh, Chris Evangelista? I think is his name. Yes, I haven't I mean, listened the whole to the podcast I, I, I devoted to 
later day, latter day uh, Spielberg and making the case for all these movies. You guys would really enjoy it. And, I'll definitely yeah. check that out. I think I, I think that you know. Uh, Spielberg and Scorsese are often talked about as sort of the yin to each other's yangs in terms of just the types of films they make, the longevity of their careers, the the blank checks that they have, the abilities that they have to do basically whatever they want. Um, and I think it's I think Scorsese has a similar thing, which is he's still really fucking good, yeah. and it's crazy oh that God, he's as so good as good. he still is. And but he's so great and consistently great, and, but yeah. they're always going to measure any movie that they release against their best and when they're and their best are the greatest of all time yeah and so yeah. then then they grade them on this ridiculous curve yep where someone you know goes and sees i don't know lincoln and yep. it because it's not schindler's list it's a, a failure, which is yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> that's that's yeah. true. I I you know, think that, I think um, Spielberg does Scorsese better than Scorsese does Spielberg. Um, oh, for sure. Which you know, and Scorsese's tried. Sure, to I got you. Yes, here yes. and there. Yes. Uh, Hugo was clearly a Spielberg movie. I would yeah, even Scorsese's say Scorsese's not making Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. No, no, no. I mean, his version is like I don't know. I mean, his version is like Kadoon or something. So <laughs> you know, he, he does. Yeah, but but yeah. when Spielberg has made a movie that's more of a Scorsese movie, which I would I would say you know, Munich's a little Munich. bit of a Scorsese movie. Munich. There's something else that was kind of uh, top of mind that felt a little Scorsese. I mean, Catch Me If You Can is very Scorsese-ish. I think that easily could have been a Scorsese movie. Yeah, in some ways, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I think I think it's, I. I I think that, you know, it's, you know, there's a reason why he's Spielberg. There's a reason yeah. why he's the top of the, of, of sort of, it's the reason, one of the reasons that I was really excited to talk about this movie was what we talked about earlier about this period that he made Last Crusade in, right? Where he makes Temple of Doom and he's like, oh, I don't know. And then he tries to pivot into big Oscar bait with Color Purple. Um right. And he's just all over the map in in the span of about like six or seven years. And, and the reason I wanted to focus on that is if 93 doesn't happen, right? If Jurassic Park and yeah. Schindler's List don't happen or don't connect or he doesn't hit those out of the fucking park, we do not have the the remaining 15 to 20 films that we've gotten over the last, you know, 20 no. years or so from him. No. And, you know that's a crazy thing. Like it did. I don't know that people maybe have a real reckoning to look at those, that kind of swath of films and say like, this guy might've been on the ropes. You know what I mean? Like Kenny and I had a conversation earlier. We were talking about the witches and Mm. is Zemeckis done. I don't know if he's done, but he's definitely on the ropes. And I think that like, he is. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't know. know? Yeah. It's sort of a different thing because Zemeckis took that interesting very mo-cap. long detour into the <laughs> mocap of it all. Yeah. I think that yeah. was yeah. that. Yeah. That's the that's the very, very fascinating thing. Yeah. But yeah, no, you're right. I think with 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 Spielberg, you know, and I remember again. This this is around the time I was 89, 90, 91, where I was starting to read the, the trade magazines and have, have my subscription to Entertainment Weekly when it was brand new, and sort of following the whole so, the debacle yeah. of Hook. And yep. and a movie that I also enjoy, but again, I was the right age for it. Um, but but it was it was a it was a, it was a big debacle. And yep. and talking about the summer of '89 and what a what a mega force um, 
the Batman of it all was. The only other thing I can think of that approaches it is is that year, that 93, that one-two punch of Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. In the summer, and Schindler's List get Oscar time. I mean... Yeah. What the fuck? Well, it I remember just... you, you, you bring up Entertainment Weekly, which is the perfect segue. Um, I remember I saw Hook. I was 11. I saw it. My dad took me to see it. I thought it was fine. Yeah. You know, didn't hate it, didn't love it, whatever. And I remember Entertainment Weekly had their, their movie preview, their summer movie preview. Mm-hmm. The and, Jurassic, and, and Jurassic Park was highlighted, right? And they were like, this could be huge or it could be Hook. Like, I think that that's where yeah. people were. Oh, yeah. They were just like, this guy might be, like, we're not sure where we stand with this guy. Like, he really was on the precipice of something. There was a real kind of fulcrum point in his career. And obviously, you know, knocked out. No, the, the big headline was, will this movie about dinosaurs unseat the the um, 100% sure <laughs> thing, Last Action Hero, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was the big yeah. fight. God, shit, yeah. shit was they both came mess. out in June. They came out two weeks they, apart. Yeah. Yeah, no, the, the, an interesting counterfactual history is what if Last Action Hero were good? I understand <laughs> some people think it's good. That's not my point. What if Last Action Hero was actually a good movie? Because it yeah. goes back to our first conversation about movie stars, right? Yes, Where right. Jurassic yes. Park, the, the essentially dinosaurs well, yeah, that's true. beating that was, Arnie yes. is yes. – because that's ultimately what happened, right? Dinosaurs beat Arnie. Yeah. But people always seem seem to uh, uh, forget that the quality of the movie matters. Yeah. You know, uh, I I feel like that all the time. It's like Ar- Arnie struck out. Arnie, no, he, he, struck he, out. The he did just he executed. The movie wasn't good. <laughs> it was a horrible yeah. movie. Um, yeah. But what if, you know, what if it was The Terminator, which it was the the summer before? Or, we, or True Lies the year after. Exactly. Are we having a completely different conversation yeah. or is it a completely yeah. different trajectory here? But and not to say that you ever could have beaten Jurassic Park. Obviously, that's a supernova. No, but. I mean, and also that just the advance in special effects. I mean, that you know, they they had that ace in the hole. They had that yeah. computer, those computer generated dinosaurs. That's another great moment in the Spielberg documentary when they Kathleen Kennedy talks about when they were all huddled around the computer and saw what, what they'd they come do. up with, and they were like, "Oh, yeah, yeah. the whole thing is changing." <laughs> Well, it's funny, Kenny. You, no. you, and 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 this is a a great way to kind of wrap this whole thing up, which is in '89, movie stars made great movies, right? So you had that synergy of great movies with movie stars. And Tom then Cruise what happened? Born the Fourth of July. 89. Sure, but yeah. then what happens is they lose the thread, right? And then now you have movie stars chasing stuff to be at the top of a of a poster or because it showcases them, rather than the because. They, they were they weren't chasing good movies anymore. They weren't chasing good scripts anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. it's it, it really is it's a real moment. But Brian, thank you so much. Oh, so much fun, you guys, for, for three hours. No, I, crusade. you know, I feel yeah, like we just scratched baby. the surface. It's like the ER episode. I, oh, you know, I, I, I I'm, I'm, I'm I can do one Brian, of those weird, you know, those weird podcasts that are like we're going to talk about. We're going to devote every episode to one minute of this movie. Yes, and, yes, and I yes. always think of that, see those and go, uh, that sounds horrible. I could do that <laughs> with Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and probably make a pretty good podcast. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. But uh, uh, I also I want to say you, you brought up ER and don't think that I don't constantly think about emailing you so you and I can just do an episode on Great Expectations and talk about ER. Oh, 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 yes. Well, because I, mean, I you know. gladly Hey, you've that. got a Patreon I, now. Yeah, so it's perfect for that. But thank you again for coming on. 
Brian, oh, I, it was fun. I'm so happy that, that you were able to come on this episode to talk about a film that like oh, you truly too. deeply love. Like that's that's. Oh no! When I, you sent me the list, I was just like, and it actually it, it really did coincide with me having just introduced the kids to it. So it was really fresh in the. I, so the, the minute you said that, I was like, oh yes. Anyone else who's listening to this, a potential guest, mm-hmm. this is what this is why why I'm really excited about this podcast because. There are a lot of movies in the ninety in ninety nine that we that obviously we love. We chose the year and our guests love, but very few movies that have that family member quality that you're talking about here. Indeed. And I think we've already yeah. done Christmas Vacation, which is that for a lot of people. This is that for a lot of people. And I think there are I think there are like twenty, twenty five of these movies, and very few movies that you know kind of just made our list because we respect them or we find them interesting. Mm-hmm. Most of these movies all kinds of different genres from when Harry met Sally to, you know, lethal weapon Two, hold a very dear place in the hearts of a lot of people we know. So I, it's a different kind of conversation. It's a different kind of podcast now. And I really do like appreciate you for kind of, you know, you along with our last guest, Ashley Lyle setting the the tone for this. My pleasure. My pleasure. And I, you know, we'll, we'll do it again. We'll do it again. You'll absolutely come back for Henry V. And I also, oh, yes. That would, that would to, be so much fun. Yeah. To, yeah. to piggyback just on, on what Kenny's saying and to wrap this up, I just want to say, you know, we're not going to be doing the next week on um, just because we'd prefer to have the freedom to be able to record these and release them in the order that we think is best and what have you. But we're going to have all of our favorite guests. Brian, obviously, is one of them. Uh, Ashley Lyle. But we're going to have, you know... Uh, Joanna Robinson's going to come on. Hunter Covington's going to come on. Uh, Kenny's friends from uh, Varsity Blues, whose names are escaping me. Matt Zimmon and Craig Gerard. Zimmon and right, cool. exactly. They're going to come on. We've got all of your favorite guests are going to come back for this. So don't worry. We'll post a graphic each month so you'll know what four or three or two or however many episodes we do each month. You'll see what's coming up. But um, we thank you for listening. We thank you for signing up for this if you did. Um, and we look forward to, uh, to doing lots of these in the future. Thank you again, Brian. We really appreciate it. My pleasure, Brian. Thanks, Thanks Brian. Podcast like, Podcast like it's 1989. Baby fish mouth. Baby fish mouth. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.